Uh, Carney Hefner, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Drunk Monkeys. I'm Chris Pruitt. I am the managing editor of Drunk Monkeys. And we love Twin Peaks. So this is the Drunk Monkeys log cast in which Chris and I talk about Twin Peaks. And so that's what we're going to be doing. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> They're all riveting. <laughs> so we thought we would get together and just kind of talk uh, episode by episode and then maybe in the end talk about the books, stuff like that. So eat some donuts. There's plenty of content to sift through. Yeah. We'll really get into the spirit of David Lynch and what he was trying to accomplish. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so something that even he does not know. So <laughs> nor does he care. We'll, we'll really <laughs> come out on top if we're able to deliver that at the end of this. So Chris and I uh, rewatched the first episode um, from way back in ninety or eighty nine. I don't even remember. Who knows? Whatever. <laughs> it was a different time. I believe it's <laughs> I was, 90. Uh, we should look that up and say that for real before we can... <laughs> right. <laughs> should probably know what we're talking Season about. Season 1, Sorry. episode 1. What show is this? April 8th, 1990. April 8th, 1990. Um, so we rewatched it and we're just going to kind of chat about it. This is a very loosely organized podcast, so I hope you're not looking for structure because you're not going to get it here. Which is fine, because you're not going to get it from Twin Peaks, either. So. <laughs> right. Oh, goodness. Hmm. How many people do you think sat down and they were like, yeah, here's a narrative that's just going to flow from A to, <laughs> a to Z. I can't wait. Because well, that, that's an interesting point about the pilot, though, because when you started up, <laughs> it's so weird to have gone through the entire series and to watch that first episode again. is like you're almost watching a different show. It's colored by the stuff you know in the future, but it's, you know, if you saw it by itself, you would have no fucking idea what you were in for. Well, I remember... It just got that explicit tag right there. I remember my um, my dad watched it. That's how I knew what Twin Peaks was, was my dad watched it, because I was like eight when it, when it premiered. And I remember him being, like, infuriated by it. Like, like the first... I remember him watching the first one, and he's like, okay, like, here we go, whatever. But as it went on, he was just like... What the fuck? But then he kept watching it because my dad needs closure. So he was like, well, I'm just going to stick with this until it's it's over. But I just remember him being just mad. And my dad's a very normal person. So I can't imagine just like, you know, once you hit a few episodes in, you've got, you know, <laughs> like demons and, and weird small people dancing and talking backward. Like... This is not a murder mystery. This is a nightmare. You tricked me. How pissed was he 25 years later when they're like, guess what? You got 10 more episodes to watch and in the weirdest shit yet. Well, to be fair, I don't think he watched it because they are not, because uh, they're cheap and they won't pay for Showtime. So Yeah, I won't either. I don't think he would watch it anyway. I, I asked for the DVDs for my birthday or something. Yeah. Uh, so. so let's just get um, into it. Let's just, And, and that's we- a... That's a good point, though, because when you watch that first episode, which is in- entirely too long. Yes. Well, I feel like I feel like before we get into that material, I feel like we should say, so Colleen and I have talked about this off mic, and I think our idea is that this is going to be kind of spoiler light. Yes. That we're going to try, it's probably going to be difficult not to address overall thematics of the show as we look at stuff in a meaningful way, but we would like it to be something you could watch along with uh, without it ruining your experience or without going into stuff episodes and episodes from now, I think a lot of the thing I don't like about 
analysis of Twin Peaks I see online is when people say, well, in episode nine of The Return, like, colors this thing from the pilot episode, and it's like, you know, the information is provided to you in order for a reason. Not that you shouldn't receive perspective from stuff in the future, but it's helpful to analyze it as we receive it. It's helpel to see what, as a viewer we're supposed to be experiencing it's, it's, of the show. Yeah, and it's nice to watch one episode. Like, I didn't keep going and watch several episodes last night. We watched one episode, and I was like, that's it. Digest it. Yeah, and it's kind of nice to go back and do that, because I, I kind of want to feel like... I only watched The Return once straight through, so I kind of like this idea of revisiting it, you know, very slowly, so that I can mull it over instead of binging it, like I usually do with everything, and then it becomes kind of a big blur. Because if you asked me about any other show i binge them usually so i'm like i can't tell you what episode that was or anything it's all one big continuous thing so for sure and there's a lot to drink in and chew on in every single episode here i don't know why all my metaphors are suddenly about ingesting because we have donuts in front of us and a thing that we do plan on doing is incorporating some twin peaks themed foods and spirits and and beverages as we go on but since we uh, didn't really prepare for that because we're not very prepared people. I had my husband run out to Donut Friend. The only thing missing is you. And get half a dozen donuts for us. So. Donut Friend, the only thing missing is you. Yeah, Sounds like says, something that could exist in the Twin Peaks Because <laughs> it's Donut. And like the U isn't oh, there. Oh, and no. Then it says, and, then it's, and then it says the only thing missing. You know, Donut Hut, sorry. The only thing missing is you. Straight out of the twisted mind of David Lynch. Oh, donut friend is in downtown LA, and I did not send him down there to get, to get donuts. Donut hut. Donut hut. From the twisted visionary that brought you a razorhead in Twin Peaks. Anyway. So, so yeah, do you want to just jump right in, I guess, then? I yeah, do like sure. this idea of being very spoiler light. We're not going to tell you who killed Laura Palmer, though you should probably know already by now. <laughs> so I, I think first the first thing that occurs to me, like starting up the pilot again, and this is something like the third or fourth time I've watched this particular episode, um, is that the very first time I tried to watch this, and I, I kind of wound up walking ass backwards into David Lynch's stuff, uh, a number of years back when my parents saw Mulholland Drive and they called me up like, what does it mean? Like, what was this? Who was this? What is this stuff? And so I watched it and I was like, this shit fucking rules. So like, then I just like started going down the rabbit hole with all this stuff. And the first time I tried to watch uh, Twin Peaks on Netflix streaming was in my first apartment post-grad at some weird evening when I was there by myself, even though I was always with roommates for years and years. And I like start up the episode and you see those first couple of pristine shots, which I think I'll probably talk more specifically about in a, in a second. And then you get that first shot of the body wrapped in plastic in the distance. And then my internet dies and it just stops right there. And it was like the most <laughs> weird David Lynch experience ever. Like I couldn't get the show to progress anymore. It's like I saw that one image and that was it. That's all you get of the so show. <laughs> it was really <laughs> fucked up. Oh, and no. like it's, it just seems very David Lynch. There's something that sort of meta to be like a connotation for me with this episode, like forever now. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of my experience of it. I do want to say, of course, the person wrapped in plastic is Laura Palmer, and she is the person that the entire show kind of centers itself around. She's dead, and they're trying to figure out who killed her. It's a pretty cut-and-dry murder mystery to begin with. 
Um, and it will never change from here on. <laughs> That's the whole story. So who done it, basically? Um, I want to say, and I wrote this down, that I went as her for Halloween, and it only cost me three dollars and sixty four cents. It was awesome. <laughs> I was like, this was years ago, and I was like, I just want to go as you know, like, well, I'll just scrap something together, and I'll go to Home Depot and get some clear wrapping, and I, you know, use some makeup. To like make myself look dead or whatever, but the crazy thing was, and I'm like, this is she fine. has that like, kind of metallic blue shade yeah. lipstick. Well, I, well, I had a lot of thing in 1990 when you're like six. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be her. Uh, no, this was like producer Matt. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> um, this was like 2012 maybe or 13, and I went. That's what I went as, and the best part was. One, there was a woman dressed like the log lady there. No And shit. I was like, holy. And she was like, are you Laura Palmer? And I was like, are you the log? And it was kind of like She should have been like, my log tells me that you're Laura <laughs> Well, we were just so like, because this was not. Sorry, that was a spoiler. This was not any time. <laughs> cut it, cut it. <laughs> this is not any time like when like Twin Peaks was in the focus of anyone. Like this was before they even announced that before they were the redoing a return. Like, so it was just kind of like, oh, I'll just do that real quick. And it was just funny to have someone else dressed as her there. And then I got really drunk. And then I fell asleep in the front seat of Dan Patty's car, my friend Dan Patty. And they and he and uh, the guy I was dating at the time, we went to, like, Wendy's or something. And the person was like, uh... And I guess Dan was like, oh, she's just really drunk. But then it occurred to him, she, I have a girl in my front seat wrapped up in tarp who looks dead and i'm just like can i get a baconator or like whatever and he was like oh my god that was so uncomfortable of course i don't remember any of that probably but. honestly not even the top 10 weirdest things that the <laughs> right. Wendy's, uh, but i had to get it out there while we were evening. talking about the the body so yeah um so part of what you notice when you start up the pilot is that it's an hour and a half long, like uh, even on a streaming device. So I guess this was a two-hour broadcast initially. Mm-hmm. It's it's a whole movie in and of itself, at least in terms of the length. And you start it up, and God, that first time they run through that opening credit sequence, which is so iconic and so beautiful and everything. But the first time you watch that, you're like, fuck, no wonder it's an hour and a half long. It's like eight minutes of this shit of just like <laughs> logging machinery and stuff. And, and It's like every person who ever had anything to do with this show, they're like, we're going to very slowly pan their name across the credits yeah. while a bird contemplates. And, and I think I think that you can do a sort of fair analysis of it where it's like part of, part of the thematics of the show is the sort of disruption of this very kind of idyllic, uh, cliched Northwest community or something. And the bright green letters, which the bright green will come to be a sort of color symbol in the series as we move forward um, – it, it like kind of shows this sinister force creeping in, but also it's just way too fucking long. It's like too it's long. just it's way too long. The like, entire pilot <laughs> is too long. Everything David Lynch makes is too long. And I love it, but it's too long. It's too, God, <laughs> it's too damned long. Has anybody actually watched all of Inland Empire? Like the whole thing? Um oh, <laughs> Brian Collins went I mean to see I have it. too, but still <laughs> Brian Collins went it's... to see it in theaters and someone left fifteen minutes before it ended. No. He was like, What made them stop? Like what made them go like this is too much? Like after <laughs> like, two like, and a half hours like, of that bullshit. Like, they two were hours and like... forty five minutes they're like, I can't or three hours and forty five minutes or whatever, and they're like, I just can't do this oh, anymore. Actually, here. Oh, this is Matt. Yeah, sorry. Matt. I do I'm sorry, I have to tell a story about that because maybe it was my friend Ryan. Because Ryan, when he saw Inland Empire, he like right in, 
close to the end, like when they started doing the locomotion, he like stood up in his seat, like expecting to lead a revolution. Like, let's, I'm done with this. Let's leave this theater forever. And everyone else was just watching it. Like, whatever, dude, we've, we're sold in. Whatever. We're in. But he was done. He was out. That, oh my God. Like, I would have left Ryan in the rabbits if I was going to fucking leave. Right. Like, I love rabbits. I, would, I do too. But what I'm saying is like, if there's a cutoff point, yeah, if, like, if there's a wheat from the chaff moment, it's, it's, it's the a rabbit. Rabbits. Yes. All right. So yeah, no, I agree. It's just, it is so beautiful to look at, but, it's just so long. It's so long. Um, let's see. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about... I don't think I've ever paid attention to this, but the first face that you see on screen is Josie Packard. And not only is it the first face you see, it's in a mirror. You don't, like, see a direct person's face ever. And, like, this series comes back again and again and again and again in tons of ways to the question of identity. So I think it's just such a... You know, for... There's a lot of lore around how they created this show originally, and they hadn't decided how it was going to turn out or what it was going to look like. And where Lynch is sort of infamous for sort of just pulling it out of his brain as he goes, and so it's interesting to me that whether how literal that is or is not, clearly the themes are laid in there from literally the first shots of the series. That's so funny because I was watching it and I was like, I didn't remember that she was the first person you said. Like, that did strike me as well. She's like putting on lipstick or something. And I was like, I don't remember it. Like, of course, I always think of it as opening with Jack Nance. She looks like she's doing or admiring her makeup in the mirror, which is, again, questions of identity with this character in particular, but also with everybody in the series. It's really one of the core concepts and it's right there from the beginning in a really subtle way which i thought was a really interesting thing to notice on this um also first line of spoken dialogue is good old pete who will become our best friend as the series goes on but this first line of dialogue that is spoken by anybody in the series is gone fishing (laughs) and so like i suspect there'll be a lot of discussion of lynch's dialogue as we go through this because it's just such a just such a treasure um But I think it's particularly interesting to see how he works in cliches in these first couple of episodes here because of what he want, what winds up happening to this town and the way, again, this sort of, um, we start with a lot of cliched stuff that gets sort of pounded in with a hammer as the series goes on and it's sort of, Watch how it starts with the ultra. Like my grandpa used to cover his house in gone fishing signs. Like it's, <laughs> that's not even as a from a small American town myself. Like I I'm so familiar with that as like a just a sort of piece of cultural currency. Yeah, it's, very, you know? like, it's like it's like a wooden nickel in verb form. You know, it's, it's very it's like, um Americana. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, what yeah. do you think of when you think of Americans? You think of coffee. These cliches. <laughs> yeah, coffee yes. gone fishing. Like yes, industry. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Industry logging. Yeah, good old <laughs> makeup. Good old uh, country folks. You yeah, know? that's yeah. So it's I really liked noticing how it just opens with these thematics immediately. Um, you know, if you showed up to a writer's workshop or you delivered a script to a studio and it had any line of dialogue that looked like any one of David Lynch's pieces of dialogue, you. You would get thrown into garbage. Like, oh yeah, we're all writers, yeah, yeah. So we oh, have this yeah. super pretentious. It's gonna be really uh... insufferable. But but that's <laughs> but that's part of what I love is like he works in this very stylized, very weird sort of language that just it feels so intentional and right. But if you saw it anywhere else, he'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it is so like like the cliches work because, well, not to get ahead, but we know that they're gonna get pulled out from under us. So it's a very like, and and I guess in a way too, that's very typical of small towns. Like you have these cliche like small town, everyone knows each other. It's very idyllic. It's very simple, but there's always this underbelly, and like you see that time and time again, even in real life, like. You know, like, oh, it shattered us. This crime shattered a small community. But it's like, but it was happening there. So, like, it, there's always this horrible stuff happening under the surface. So just for it to get torn out, even just torn out from under us with, with the body washing on the shore. You're like, oh, my God, what has happened? So Sure. And and it's it's displayed in a way that feels very... I mean, it is artful, but the way it shows up on screen here, it feels unartful in a way that's designed to strike your eye, right? So Pete comes out of the house. He notices the body on the shore, as I kind of jumped ahead to for the sake of that anecdote earlier. But he, you see it from a distance, and it doesn't look like this, like the way in Law and Order, like strategically the body will be covered up to here with. I'm I'm putting my hand up to my neck. (laughs) Thank thank (laughs) you, microphone. Shit. It's, it would be covered up, like, so that the wounds aren't visible or something. It always feels very strategically laid out. And instead, it just looks like this random blob of plastic, like, in the distance on the shore. And there's maybe something, like, kind of blood-colored under through it, but you can't really tell. And it's kind of, like, ugh. It's, like, kind of gross it's and heebie in a way yeah. that feels like, uh... It well, has I don't that, know like, what bluish... Well, it's, like, all, like, this kind of, like... The plastic is obviously see-through, but it's got, like, a very bluish hue because she's dead inside of it Been in the and water. It's, it's very like off-putting like like you think of people in water and something like a bloated dead like the way like a fish would be it's very yucky yes it's yucky it's, it's yucky it feels <laughs> yucky in so pete sees the body and then you get this scene where he's calling the police office and wonderful precious protector at all costs lucy answers the phone and th- we get this wonderful Wonderful scene where she is like transferring the phone to uh, Harry Truman. Harry Truman, of course, the sheriff, and is okay. Sheriff, I'm going to transfer the phone to the okay. It's the red. It's the red phone next to the chair against the wall. It's a. It, it, you get a sense while it's funny and it's a good comic relief moment to like follow this kind of genuinely disturbing moment with the body. It also does this good job of establishing in a really subtle way, like. Okay, so now we know what level of crime these people are used to dealing with. Like, yeah, and it's yeah. like you don't have to say, "Well, we don't usually deal with this stuff," you know. Like, yeah. it's it's already it's there, simple. and we get this kind of important piece of information. But it comes through this wonderful, weird little jokey character acting moment, which is something Lynch is a master of: is letting his characters just be the characters, and it reveals the world for you. I love Lucy. I love Lucy. Also, just going to throw it out there. Uh, Harry Truman, kind of a babe. Well, yeah, I, you know, the, the, he is kind of, I was like, Very, hmm. very, like, late 80s, early 90s babe. But he, he could get it. Yeah, he could get it, for sure. <laughs> Harry Truman, fuck. Yeah, Harry Truman, fuck. Well, and we'll get to that. <laughs> Several episodes later. Um, no, and you know, they're all kind of like babes in their own way. Oh, yeah, for but, sure. Uh, but Lucy, what's so funny about Lucy is... Like, that moment is genuinely, like, cute or whatever. But if you knew someone like that in real life, you would want to pull all of your hair out. Like, I know how the... I know which phone you're transferring it to. Just fucking transfer the call. <laughs> like, I have worked with people like this, and I have seriously, like, chewed my wrists 
listening to them. So it's just funny that he can like present her in a way where you're like, she's precious. Instantly relate. Yeah. <laughs> because if I knew her in real life, I'd be like, just trans. Be like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And and like. Harry standing there wall-eyed with a cup of coffee in his hand while she just repeats this this information and he's just letting it go. Yeah. (laughs) So that, again, another piece of acting from him, which feels like almost no acting at all, but it's like, there's no urgency when she's like, there's a call for you, Sheriff. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. What is it? Um, Jack Nance was such a treasure too. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's just so sad well, we'll th- there's a lot more repeat to come so. I know I know but, but my very first note I wrote last night after James was always trash yeah yeah was Jack Nance sad face heart I, I'm glad that James is always trash is your first note like I did like, I wrote a, it before a whole I hour even, before he shows up I, on I screen I wrote something. it before I queued up the episode like, I'm ready <laughs> like, to make some notes about this show oh, I'm so. very excited to talk about James yes. over the course of these episodes but, um Okay, so just kind of moving chronologically through it. Yeah. After this phone call, um, that's when we get the cops out to the scene. And you have... Th- there's a lot of things going on in the scene that I think are really cool. Uh, first, and it's easy, and it doesn't mean anything the first time you see it, but you've got watching the cops as they surround the body in the corner. Um, you see Catherine Martell and Josie Martell up on the steps of the house and Josie is wrapped in black and Catherine is wrapped in white. The black and white color motif and what it means together is a big ass deal in this series and it's like it's just right there at the beginning. It's like it's not telling you anything now but it's already yeah. setting like it. we know by the end of this episode what their kind of direct interpersonal conflict is or at least we know what the seed of it is. It gets a little more complicated as it goes but it's um... Not only does it just show these two characters in opposition, it already is suggesting this concept of the the sort of the black and the white as they exist as con- concepts in the David Lynch verse. <laughs> the <laughs> David Twin Lynch's Peaks head. Verse. Yeah. Um, and so then there's also a really good moment where um, Officer Andy, who another precious, precious boy, um, he's so is, pure. He's so pure. Is like taking photos of the body, and then he just sort of breaks down into like really cartoonish, blubbering, ugly crying, like and, while he's doing it. And it's funny because I misremember that scene as him not crying until he realizes who is dead. Yeah. But then when I watched it, <clears throat> it's, it's before me, but, they even pull the plastic yeah. He's just yeah. so devastated by the idea yeah. of someone being dead. And he's like, no, I'm all right, I'm okay, but like he's not, and it's so, uh, it's so he's so pure and true, which is you know nice for later on, but but he's just like such a cute character that you're like, oh, he shouldn't be a cop, yeah, he should work somewhere else. Yeah, but he, I love him so. Throughout the series, he kind of represents this sort of. Not not in a bad way, but a sort of denial that things could get as sort of twisted or as dark or as bad as they eventually do in the universe. But he's almost Peaks. also too like this like moral anchor. Like yes. he's just this like always good sort of like you can almost forget about him for the most part. But he's just always there and he's always just that pure, kind person who doesn't want anything bad to happen. Yeah. And, and it's kind of just like he do- almost doesn't let himself get corrupted in any sort of way it's just it's very sweet and we see that from right at the very yeah, beginning right at the beginning and it 
plays out and pays off all the way through to the end. It is not a spoiler to say that Andy is never the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, Imagine, though. Yeah, yeah. Who well, killed Laura Palmer? Andy? Well, just, yeah, I didn't see that Just coming. wait until Mark Frost's fourth book. <laughs> <laughs> there's more to know. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. Um, but an- another thing I like about that moment, as we were talking about earlier in contrast to sort of your, your typical law and ordery kind of procedural is you've always got the important detectives that are kind of like stoic and like gathering the facts. And you've got like these nameless cop dudes in the background doing the cop shit. Like people would be breaking down crying if this kind of stuff was happening in a small neighborhood, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, it both kind of satirizes and humanizes this idea of the procedural, even though it feels the performance is a little cartoonish and, the performances are always cartoonish in David Lynch stuff. That's kind of the point. It's it has a sort of it's almost what do I want to say? It's like, like what if real but exactly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everything is like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it kind of tells us future episodes are going to reveal a sort of interesting meta element and this idea of how the showrunners are trying to maybe parody, maybe satirize, maybe kind of find the human core of these sort of more typical television genres. But for now, like, the signs are already there. It's already coming through in the character work. And then they unwrap that plastic. And then they pull her face and you get that first, like, swell of the music. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! And of course it's Laura Palmer, who everyone knows in their own weird way. But I mean, it's like... This town is so small that they unwrap this thing. And they're like, oh, holy shit, it's Laura Palmer. Like, everyone on the... Like, why would small-town cops know this girl? But she's iconic. Yeah, yeah, like, even her... I mean, her character in real life, like, for us, is iconic. But on the show, she herself is, like, an integral part of this community. So everyone knows her and uh, are just shocked to see her washed up ashore. Yeah. And and it's it's a nice little trick... For us as the audience, where at this point, there's only been about five lines of dialogue in the whole show. Yeah. And they've all kind of been broken little bits of character performance. Like, there's been no, like, critical information. We've only had a couple of names, like, just sort of said in passing already. And so when, but it's like, oh, Laura Palmer, it means nothing to us. But we can see it means everything to these characters. And so it already starts the gears turning in terms of, you want to figure this out. You want to delve into this a little more. And speaking of Americana... Is there anything more American than the whodunit for a dead woman, especially a dead white mm. woman? And there's actually a whole book written about this. And I was going to ask Matt to look it up because I, d- I wrote down the name of the title, but n- not the name of the author. It's called Dead Girls. Alice Boylan, I think, maybe wrote it. I might be making that name up. That might not be a real person. <laughs> but, th- but her entire... Maybe it's a person within the fiction of Twin Peaks. Right. Alice Bolin. Okay, American Alice Bolin, yep. Yeah, and it's the book is all about how Americans are obsessed with dead girls. Like, you know, from from real life, you know, uh, the Black Dahlia or whatever. But it begins with this kind of critical look at the Twin Peaks pilot and how the whole thing is, who killed this dead girl? Which is, her argument was it's a little insulting to women. I don't necessarily agree with it, but it is a great book and I did want to mention it because... You know, the whole show is kind of this all-American town grappling with this murder of a beloved woman and, and, you know, young woman. And that's just a very American thing, unfortunately. 
So I want to definitely plug that because that book is great. I read it um, right after Christmas. It was very, very good. Yeah. Real holiday fair. <laughs> Some light reading. Yeah, just light reading it's, for the Christmas season. It, it's interesting that you're bringing that up. Right, about... you were having your baby as well. Right, right. <laughs> pregnant with my with my <laughs> only daughter. <laughs> oh, great. It's interesting you bring that up about the thematics of like uh, women as victims because I think I've seen Lynch get shit on often rightfully to a degree uh, for the way he writes women. There's a very big like madonna horror complex thing that goes on through a lot of his work i think it might be interesting as we move forward through this watch to sort of just pay attention to how he writes women in uh and the series in general but lynch specifically how he casts and writes women as opposed to his male characters um you can already see those those sort of uh cliches start to form in these early episodes and again it is a show more or less that's about the standing up of cliches and then the sort of breaking open of them so i'd be interested as we go along through the series to see if we think any progress gets made on that the way it sort of initially casts all the women characters as mostly either victims or strange aggressors yeah we'll get to a couple characters that get introduced in a few minutes here and i think it'll be interesting if we feel like that's been deconstructed in like a meaningful way by the time we get to the end of this or if it's just no, that's no, just... he's just an old white dude. He's, so. an old white, he's an old white guy. Let's just let him do his like thing. 50, he's had like 15 wives or something. I don't know. <laughs> he's fine. Yeah, it's no, fine. it is an interesting it's thing to, um, to keep an eye on, for yeah. sure. Okay, so um, we cut from seeing the body to the inside of the Palmer house with uh, um, Laura's mom, Sarah, Sarah, is there, who I don't think we get her name for a number of scenes, but... Um, and she will become a very interesting character as the series progresses in ways that we don't even really have a way of conceptualizing right now, but it will be very interesting. I want to pay attention to Sarah, especially inside of the Palmer house. Cause that's almost entirely where she will remain for the remainder rest of the, the series. Season. Yeah. And rest for of the, the series, series yeah. you see her in a couple of other contexts, but it's very rare. There's a very strong association of her with this particular house that is becomes oddly important to the plot as we go. Um, but it's so interesting to see this first thing shot of her. She's alone in the house and is smoking her butt. Smoking, so, Loves <laughs> smoke, her cigarettes. Smoking them if she's got them. Um, <laughs> and you get that first shot up the stairwell. Of the um, ceiling yeah, fan. Yeah, of the ceiling fan up the stairwell askew. So you can see the entrance to Laura's room and some implied doors going off to the side. And that shot is so important. It gets repeated so many times throughout this series. But the first time you see it, it's this like kind of functional shot of her walking up the stairs to go check in the room. And And then what's really funny is they cut to like a close-up of the lights of the the ceiling fan. So if you're watching this for the first time, which we're going to pretend you are, it's like, whoa, who gives a shit about these lights? Like, what a bizarre show. Because it does come back over and over again, and and in the movie, too. And it it's just such an odd, like, okay, like, that, what a weird, like, close-up of the light fixture of this fan. But, you know, you almost, like, don't think about it, but looking back on it, it you know, like, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm noticing this more. But if I were watching it for the first time, I'd be like, ugh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Well, right, yeah. And it, and it is an odd shot because it's sort of a little bit askew to get everything at once in the frame. and uh, But it wouldn't be noticeable if it doesn't continue to show up in the series the way it does. Right. And it's also, um, 
it's another one of these things where it's like, oh, what's going on with the storytelling in the show? They're making it up as they go. But no, this was this was deliberate. As you're yeah. talking about the sort of cut to the ceiling fan lights and stuff, like we know we're going to be looking up this staircase like a lot, like a lot of times. <laughs> right. We're gonna we're gonna be very intimately familiar with this staircase. And I love end. Sarah because when we first meet her, she is she is basically just kind of a high strung mom. Yeah. She's like Laura. Why don't you get up? Get, and if yeah. you are a mother, which I am, if you are a mother of a teenager, which I am, you will know the internal struggle of saying, get the fuck up out of your bed and out of your room. What is wrong with you? So I really identify with Sarah. In this, in this <laughs> Immediately scene. identify with she's Sarah. Just, but she's not really anything more special than a mom who is concerned that her daughter hasn't gotten up for school yet. And you can tell she's a little high strung. She's smoking. It's like 7 a.m. It's like, calm down. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, like she becomes such a different type of character from this first scene that it's just an interesting juxtaposition of she's just a mom trying to get her, make sure her daughter, who is like, you know, later revealed to be like a straight ace, like she's just like a kind of a good kid, like on that level. Like, it, she just wants her to get up for school. It's unlike, because I said, watching it, it's funny how she gets so anxious, because if it were me, I'd be like, oh, she just left for school already. Like, maybe I wasn't up yet. But it's just so out of character for her to not be downstairs already that she's like, something is immediately wrong. Right. And and she starts doing this great, like, small town montage thing where she's just immediately, like calling a bunch of people we don't even know who these people are yet like she calls yeah, it's all context clues. yeah yeah is she with uh, bobby okay well then bobby yeah. must be her boyfriend she calls right? the briggs house and the first time we see the general is getting a massage staring awkwardly in, into space by his wife in that is, terrible kitchen oh, that, that is like awful. all like that reddish orange yeah. everywhere i'm like ugh. and fritz my husband fritz is like what am i god that kitchen is just garbage like yeah. i'm just fascinated by how shitty their their kitchen looks black yeah and and to your point about about this when she's making these phone calls and um i'm totally blanking on what bobby's mom's name is i don't remember what it is uh, i don't know if i mrs. ever briggs yeah she's <laughs> mrs. Just mrs mrs briggs she's uh she says oh well uh you know like where's leland and i think sarah's like oh he had to go to a meeting early oh Oh, she must have just gone with her dad. You know, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would she go to a work meeting with her dad instead of going to school? But it speaks to that point you made about, well, of course, she didn't go get murdered last night. Like, why would that have been a thing? Like, <laughs> right. That, and also, I think I think it shows a very a subtle, like, there's this mother's intuition where she knows something is wrong. She knows something's wrong, but, but she's trying but you to do accept this, another. You do this, like... A denial where you're like, oh, yeah, of course she must have gone with her dad. Even though, like Chris said, why would she go to her dad's business meeting before school? Like, she would get up and go to school. That's the normal thing. But when you have this nagging feeling, you'll do anything to make it like, oh, no, it, it must be explainable. She's not with her boyfriend. She must be with her dad. It makes sense, right? No, it doesn't. But but whatever you need to do to sleep at night, really. We get we cut from Sarah's various phone conversations to, like, a quick shot of Audrey Horn. 
uh, who will become a very important character, just walking out of the hotel where her father works, which we don't even quite know yet. We will shortly. Yeah, and gets into a fancy car, apparently to be driven to school, and then disappears. Like, and, there's, and, it's just nothing happens. Just, it's just, you need to know. You need to know about Audrey. exists. <laughs> and her hair is fucking terrible. It is the worst. It is the literal worst. <laughs> it is the worst. dirt worst hair even, ever to Even exist. for like eighty nine ninety, because like they obviously filled it a little... Terrible. I, I'm like, you know, they fix it fast, but I'm like, well, ugh. and and she's clearly you're supposed to interpret her as being this sort of femme fatale bombshell character. It's immediately obvious that's what they want, what yeah. they're going for. The music cue, the way it gives us this long, like sort of languid look at her walking to the car, and it's like this is the worst luck of all time. <laughs> you look terrible, ma'am. Ugh. And and obviously, it's like she's like a you know I had to do it to a meme in like 1990 or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's what I wrote in my notes. You know, Audrey Horn had to do it to him. So she does have those saddle shoes though, and but, I yeah, like the saddle shoe look. So she is a style icon, whether she we is. like her or not. Yeah, yeah. Oop. And it'll get explored in a, in a more uh, coherent way as the series goes on. But yeah, that, that yeah. first shot is it's rough, man. It's I'm like ugh, really. That hair. It's uh, bad. We we get this shot um, of Benjamin Horn, who is Audrey's father and who operates the hotel, talking with Leland Palmer, um, Laura's dad, dad. Ray Weiss. Who, we don't quite know yet. Iconic. But, yeah. Ray Weiss's performance in this show, just whatever you're doing, whether this is the first time you've watched it, the fifth time you watch it, whether you're not even rewatching it along with us and you're just thinking of it in your head think about ray weiss's performance he's on excellent. this show he's <laughs> it's excellent the, it is the best ray thing weiss, ever we stand yeah we stand we stand this problematic daddy yeah. <laughs> literally and figuratively <laughs> but yeah both meta and intratext <laughs> oh man um and then this woman that plays like the uh I guess she's like supposed to be the major D of the hotel or something here who comes in to tell Leland that he's got a phone call. Um, she's wearing like the worst mullet ever. <laughs> she really like, it's just incredible. <laughs> I, I've never seen anything like it. Maybe Lynch was like, all right, Northwestern America, lady these early 90s. Everyone's hair is just atrocious. Yeah, like, I'm mean, not, not going to visit. Assumption. I just need to just visualize it. It's bad, and I'm not going to make any of these people look good. And listen, if anybody knows about bad hair, it's our <laughs> friend David. Right? <laughs> he made a like, trademark of that shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is, that is an odd little, like, uh And it's like, she's not an important character. I don't know if we ever even see her again, but I, I, her hair I feel is... like she shows up a couple times in the background throughout the series, yeah, but, but like, she's not, like, not an important movie. character. Uh, she's in a couple scenes here, but I just, I really needed to talk about that mullet for my own well-being. Yeah, just get it off. Um, it's eating me alive. <laughs> so, um, Leland and um, Ben go into this meeting with this group of Norwegian folks that they're trying to sell land they don't quite own yet to. There's this whole Norwegian subplot. I think I wrote it down. Nor Somewhere on here it says Norwegians. And, yeah, Norwegians. Yeah. And it's just like this subplot that's kind of just like, all right. It like, happens, we really it goes away. It. It, it's odd. It doesn't. It, it 
it produces a couple of choice scenes in this pilot and then kind of goes away. It ties into a greater uh, subplot later about the mill property in the Ghostwood estate that will become a big deal yeah. in um, at this throughout point, the... It's just like... Yeah, but at this like point, it's, it's just a weird thing that's happening in the background of this murder plot. Um, so... They're, they're in this weird meeting. This woman with this mullet comes in and, and asks for Leland to come. Um, I don't know if it's quite clear that Leland is specifically Ben's lawyer, or did he? Is I'm that not said, sure. He's, it's just like he's it, at this it, meeting. Yeah. I don't think they say it. Yeah, but that that is the role. It's not a spoiler that Leland is <laughs> Benjamin Horn's lawyer. Right. Um, ben has this great line right before they go into the meeting where he, he's talking about implying this later plot point about trying to get the mill property from the Packards where he says, we'll get it for a song. One verse, no chorus. <laughs> Which A, is not much of a song. <laughs> and B, it's like this talking about setting up all these characters with cliches early. It's like five different cliches running into each other in that one sentence. It's so bizarre. Um, so anyway, sorry for that backup. No, um, um, Leland gets pulled out of the meeting for a telephone call and it's, you know, his wife continuing her phone calling adventures from earlier. And Sarah's asking, you would think, if, I'm sorry. You would think that maybe, okay. After the Briggs family, she would call Leland. For, like, does yeah. she call someone in between there? Yeah. The, the football coach. Oh, that's see, right. She calls the football, he, he, not her dad. Yeah. 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 To see, well, is, is Bobby there? <laughs> so, um, she calls up and she's like, Oh, is Laura with you? And he's like, no, my Laura would be with me. And there's this great shot, like, it, it's so weirdly composed. In the background through the window, you see Truman's car pull up, like, like, like with inappropriate urgentness. Like, obviously, it's, like, a big deal, but why would you come to a skidding stop in a hotel parking lot Yeah, like, lot you're not ever? stopping anything yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point. It's not, yeah. And, and then, like, he, like, aggressively walks towards the door as, like, Leland is going, like, no, I, 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 I haven't seen her. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And, <laughs> and this, too, is is such a, an important scene because I think it kind of sets up a little bit more about Sarah is because Truman shows up to tell Leland that Laura is dead. And Sarah, like, kind of, I mean, I'm sure she can hear something in the background, but she kind of, like, immediately knows, yes. like, and starts breaking down. But she's on the other end of the line. And he's like, hey, Leland, I need to talk. It's not like he's like, hey, Laura's dead, like, right away. No, and she already is, like, in hysterics yeah. at that point. Leland sees Sheriff Truman take off his hat. And, and he, Leland says, Sheriff Truman. And from that moment, instant, Sarah is, like, in a just deep... And pay her more for her performance, by the way, in this. Like, retroactively. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, of us. Needs, like, a the? royalty check, like, that didn't come her way before or something. Because, like... Her just absolute histrionics are so, they reach, talked a little bit about the performances being always kind of extra and, uh, like leaping out at you and Lynch works sometimes in a way that's a little distracting or bad, but hers is like, it's so emotive that it goes around being realistic and cartoonish and comes back around to being like, oh, it's horrifying. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's so sad. I feel like I'm going to explode yeah. or something. And, and, and even Ray Weiss, too. I wrote sad. Yeah, yeah. I wrote parents grief slash sad dad because I have this thing where sad dads just kill me. Yeah, yeah. Sad I can't dad. watch anything with a sad dad. I get, like, really upset about it. I'm like, no, it's okay. I love you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm like, oh, call my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Who's not usually very sad. He's usually just a grouch. But... 
Um, but her, their, both of their performances are very... Because I feel like if you found out your daughter was dead, your reaction, at least my reaction, would be so histrionic that if you took it out of context, you'd be like, what the... F-? But it, it would be just this awful, bottomless grief that she's, like, like crippled by. And it's so good. Like, she really does deserve a check. Yeah, Let's yeah. write her one. Yeah. <laughs> and that <laughs> will... Chris and Colleen. And, and that will, again... Analyzing Sarah and her behavior is is going to be like a real important thing as we move forward yeah. through this series. But it's it's immediate, like it it's almost like a sort of anchor in the story that you can always draw back to is this like bottomless grief that Sarah Palmer is feeling, and the way it sort of makes you feel like, oh wait, this is why I should be invested in this. This yeah. is why I this is should, a person. Yeah, yeah this and... is a person reacting to something horrible that's happened in her family and her life and so forth. Um, and I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that Sarah just truly doesn't ever move past that not ever move past it. The yeah. sort of specific circumstances that are interesting as they play out. Um, but, it, again, to sort of reinforce this theme, Leland is dealing with the sheriff and being upset. Sarah is alone in the house on the other end of the phone crying. Right. Which will be her state for basically ever. Um, I have... Sarah Palmer, actress, should have gotten a bigger check, so I've already hit that point. <laughs> um, I just reiterate it over and over again. <laughs> Let's see. Well, then we move on to the diner. The diner, yes. The next thing is Which, the diner. Which, by the way, repping it today with this show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's no Norma's, but... <laughs> no, no. Uh, so, at any rate... We go down to the diner, which will also be a very important keystone of the series in a really bizarre way. It's weird because the show, like, take, like a lot happens in the show, but there's really, like, four, four places that they kind yeah. of rotate around. Yeah, particularly up until the return happens, there's really only, like, four sets yeah. in this entire show. The entire show is a bottle of <laughs> But um, what I found interesting about the diner is the very first person you see is that German giggly waitress yeah. that, like, never comes never back. Never see her again. But you see her back, I think, once, and it's either at the very end of the second season or the very end of the return. Like, they brought her back. And there, and I think it was the return because I, I think, think on like right. I think on Reddit people were like, "Holy oh, shit, shit. Yeah. it's the giggle girl you know from I'm the first episode." Yeah, I remember remembering that. And a big deal. It's like a plot point that she arrives here because of we'll get to it. But what happens with Bobby and uh, Shelly here? But um, like, yeah, such a big point is made of her introduction and this like sort of weird semi sex joke Norma makes at her as she walks through the door and just she's like. Poof. <laughs> and it's like is this a red herring or is this like do they genuinely forget because i could see david lynch being like we'll get back to her and just like completely spacing it no no i i'm gonna do you one better and say he was totally like when we do the return season in 25 years <laughs> we're gonna do a whole thing <laughs> think, there will be the internet by then and people will go fucking for the giggle girl but it's just so funny to see, like, it's not Norma that we see, it's not Shelly that we see, it's not anyone yeah. who is related to the, it's just this German giggly girl who's like, hee hee, and you're like, okay, we're just gonna go with that, I guess. And, and then Norma, what like, a silly girl. Uh, and then Bobby, okay, so the main characters we get in this scene, just to lay it out, are Norma, who is ostensibly the manager of the diner, and... That will continue to be the case for a long time here. Um, she's got a lot going on, but for now we know she runs this diner. 
um, Shelly, who's one of her employees, and Bobby Briggs, who we know we know by name already at this point. He is Laura Palmer's boyfriend, and he's hanging out at this diner instead of being at school or whatever the fuck football he's practice. supposed to do. Yeah, yeah he's I remember to the guy's like, yeah, he right. hasn't been here in days. Yeah. He's a <laughs> like, loser. Like, that like, Super Mario Brothers Super Show looking football coach is like, what? I haven't seen Bobby. <laughs> Bobby, <laughs> yeah, who's that name in Bobby? Um, and so they're all these are the important characters we get in here and. Bobby immediately makes a you Germans joke, which is like, you know, right? <laughs> it's it's not that, that could have gone worse, but like <laughs> here we are, like twenty minutes into this first episode of this show, and it's like, Ugh. and can I just say two things? One's a little more serious. This show is a living obituary because Norma just passed away. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The woman who played yeah, Norma, yeah. Um, what's her Peggy name? Lipton. Peggy Lipton. She just passed away a few weeks ago of cancer. And uh, the general, I mean, we already yeah. have like five people who are like dead. Yeah, and it's just, it's yeah. really so sad to watch because you're just like, these people are like frozen in time here. Yeah. And the show is like at this point, just like this kind of memorial to all of them. Sure. Which it's is just, and I think seeing it, her, her death really hit me very hard. So seeing her, I was just like, oh. I think if we get as far as the return, I think there'll be a lot to discuss in terms of when we see these characters again. You mean again, when 25. we get to the Yes, I, you know what I'm saying. There's no, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no going yeah. back now. There's a lot to say about Norma. Uh, but and there's, I, I think it sort of heightens that feeling that we saw a lot of these folks again 25 years later. In, in a number of their cases, a lot of them died like right after they yeah. shot scenes for this show. I think it like brings an awareness back to that you don't always have when you're watching old TV. Well, it's like, of course these people are dead because this was shot 30 years ago right. or whatever. But it, it feels really immediate on this show because of the very strange life cycle that this series yeah. had. And um, it... It makes you think about that all the time. And you see their, uh, their excitement to be back on it. Like, yeah, yes, yeah. I will be Norma again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We- the second thing I want to say is, now, I know people listening do not know him, but do you get some very Aiden vibes from Bobby Briggs? <laughs> because we were watching and Fritz was like, oh my God, this disrespectful little shit is Aiden. <laughs> because my son is going through it. And he is just like, whatever, about it, very aloof, very insulting, very... Uh, a teenage boy and I'm like my son is Bobby Briggs and I don't know maybe he'll turn out on top in the end I don't know yeah. but right now I'm like oh this is hard to watch I, yeah I, I see I've kind of had the opposite cycle with Bobby because I remember my first watch through the series I found myself constantly annoyed by him and now I just think he's like the funniest character I think yeah. there's something about well, the that's perspective the thing too about that Aiden is, get, get. Aiden is often um, dodging being punished because yeah. he's so funny about how yeah, annoying yeah, he yeah. is that I can't stop laughing and i'm like okay just leave me alone now and and bobby also is as we talk about the sort of satirizing or undermining of um cliches bobby is this real uh cliche like um i remember this old family guy thing i think it was making fun of one tree hill or something where there was a character that was like i don't play by anybody's rules not even my own and it's like that's uh (laughs) it's like bobby franks man he's like he's just he's too cool to even be the guy that's too cool right yeah he's like like this amorphous he's really kind of a strange guy he's so like resistant to any kind of anything that gets put on him that he's just immediately going in the opposite direction he's like football practice nah he's cops kind of like, want to talk to me yeah, nah. yeah like gonna get a coffee nah yeah. <laughs> like, he's just 
so Gonna have sex with a girl? Not if her husband is there. <laughs> we'll get to that in a yeah, second. Yeah. <laughs> but that's also really funny. Well, maybe we should get there. So yeah. this German woman shows up and Bobby's like, oh, yeah, I just happened to be here instead of school. Hey, Shelly, you want to, like, come for a ride? You want? I'll, I'll take you home when I, I'm going to school I'm supposed to go to. And Norma is just looking at them like, like, looking at them the way a mom looks at her child who's like, I literally know that you're lying to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. why, why are you even doing this? And then, like... We get it. Like, you're boning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, like as a teacher, I'm so familiar with that. Like, teens really think, like, they can fucking get one over on you. Yeah. And they never can. It's like, a lot of the time, it's just like, it's not worth calling them on it. Or it's not, like, it doesn't matter. That's so you pretty just much my main parenting yeah, advice. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, it's not worth yeah, calling it just, them it out just, on it. It just doesn't matter. But it's like... Teens think they're always fooling you. It's like, you're never fooling me. I always know when you're bullshitting me. It's so obvious. And so that energy is like so palpable in that scene. Really good performance by Norma's actress with just her eye acting yeah. in that scene. And there's this great follow-up to it where they walk out. Shelly and Bobby get in the car together. And Bo- Bobby's like, I think Norma knows about us. And Shelly's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Shelly's a doofus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, she, and I love she goes, her, but she's she a goes, dope. She goes, I think that Norma's just hot to trot for you, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, so Norma <laughs> yeah, is really yeah. after the 17-year-old yeah, boy, year old boy demographic. Like, is like, it's like, well, we'll find out yeah, about... Yeah, Norma, the, we'll find the out sex what kind offender. Of, yeah, we'll find out about what kind of dick uh, Norma likes later. Spoiler, it's big dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a big dick energy about it, if you know what I big mean. Big dick energy. <laughs> That, that's the Wait, first t-shirt yep. t-shirt idea big dick energy <laughs> write it down i am <laughs> um so obviously um shelly and bobby are fooling around and bobby's driving her home and he's like okay so what about your old man like he's not there and she's like no she he called me from buttes last night and we you know he doesn't have a phone in his truck which is like you know, that would have been a problem in the return where, like, <laughs> iPhone product placement was such an important part of that. <laughs> but I don't know where he is. <laughs> somebody's texting me from this number. Um, and so, like, this is one of the funniest, I think, possibly unintentionally, but I don't know. I, Lynch is also way funnier than people give him credit for. So um, I, I think oftentimes his seriousness gets interpreted or rather, his weirdness gets interpreted as he's doing something really serious and it's dumb. It's like, no, I, he's funny. Yeah, like, he's being a funny person. Yeah, yeah I think that a lot Th- too. This this scene, I don't know how to interpret it as either. But when they're pulling up and we see a giant, tr- like, uh, what do you call just like the, a big rig? It, yeah, it's the big rig. It's the front part that hauls. Is it just called the big rig? If it's, I call if it a big rig. On there? I saw I over the top, and I'm pretty sure what, they called the it a, yeah, yeah, the cab. cab. Yeah, I was gonna say my dad's gonna hear this, or right. no, he's not gonna listen to it. But if my dad hears this podcast, it, I, it's gonna be the end of my life if I don't know what that's called. That's what he wins um, in over the top. Remember yeah. in the rest, in our wrestling movie? That's like the prize is like the cab of a big rig, and he won it. Top. Can we do a podcast on over the top? I now, would please? any day, literally um, anytime. Um, so, like, he pulls up, he sees the cab, and Bobby just goes, BUTE! Because she said that. He like, slams on the brakes, and then Norma's solution is she goes, Back up! Shelly, Shelly. I'm solution. sorry, Shelly's solution is, Back up! He get, he drives backwards for, like, ten feet, <laughs> she gets out of the car, and then he just leaves. Like, why did he reverse? Why, <laughs> he why just, just let him out! 
but he was actually invisible rage in the house for longer because he did this stupid little drive backwards on the road for three yards. It was so weird. And I don't think, I don't know if that's intentionally supposed to be funny or not, but, but you know very quickly. Yeah. That Shelly is in a very abusive yeah. marriage, so so it's really not funny because it's like, oh no. shit, she's gonna get if yeah. she's gonna get murdered if they find out and about this. So. so so what's important here is that they're freaking out because something bad's gonna happen. Yeah, if Leo finds and it's out. very and, implied from the beginning. Yeah. Like my uh, my husband is here, and it's not gonna be. good. I mean, obviously, getting caught cheating is probably not a great thing anyway. But like, it's it's implied that this is not a good situation on any sort of level. So yeah. Um... And, again, another thing we'll get a lot more on as we go, um, I guess the idea is that they're just panicking because they're dumb kids or whatever, yeah. but it's it's very uh, it's a very bizarre scene with, like, it's really funny on the surface and kind of troubling below. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I guess the next thing we see is, uh, is Laura's body in the morgue, because my next note here is Sherilyn Fenn getting that corpse money. So... Um, <laughs> Yes. I, I don't remember what actually happens in that particular I think it shot. goes by kind of quick, because yeah, I don't yeah. have anything written down be- for that either. Because then after that, I know that this is the scene in the hallway of the school, and um, we see Audrey, who we were introduced to briefly earlier in the car, and we are getting into the car to go to school. And... Um, we see a new character, Donna, who approaches and is opening up the locker nearby. They share a sort of conspiratorial giggle. Audrey's, like, smoking a cigarette, like, shoving her head in the locker to be able to do it, which is kind of hilarious. Um, yeah, because Audrey is very, like, good girlish looking. Yeah, yeah, And you yeah, can yeah. tell, like, oh, she's got something yeah, 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 we, simmering below the surface Yes, exactly. And Donna... I wish I owned Donna's shirt that she wears in yeah, this episode. Yeah, that's a great she had, shirt. She's wearing a great fucking, like, tight pattern plaid that's got some just earth tones. Is like, absolutely something I would just wear today. Um, and Donna, we get, we get a sort of lighter vibe off of her. Like, but we also see that maybe she has a little bit of appreciation for the wild side. She's laughing at Audrey smoking the cigarette. Yeah. But she's not going to tattletale. It's another small character moment that, like, Looks bigger in retrospect, but it kind of tells you something about what these two characters are immediately and what their relationship might be, or at least how they relate to each other. Um, and then we have the introduced introduction of the largest forehead in television history, um, as our friend James uh, makes his way to the screen for the first time. He's the worst! And he walks up and he says, Nice day for a picnic. <laughs> <laughs> And then she's like, yeah. And she even kind of looks at him like, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what the? Yeah. And, and so that'll come to mean something a little different later on in this episode. Yeah. But your first impression of this guy is, man, this guy sucks. He, like, he shows up where he's like wearing like a leather jacket and like the tightest jeans in the world. But they're like boot cut. So they're, yeah. like, they're like tight around his like shins, but they're like loose at the oh, waist. That, that was such that. a look yeah. back then, Yeah, it was too. like, what the hell is this? And he's the one. And... He's truly the Scott from 90210 of this. Do you remember Scott? He was the one that accidentally shot himself. And they were all like, they were all like, wow, what a loser. But then when he died, they were like, we really miss him. And that, and that was like my first instance of like, people really play up other people when they're dead. Yeah. Like, but like, that, like, looking back on it, that's what he reminds me of. It's just like, hey, I'm cool. And yeah, like, yeah. Uh, hey, uh, yeah. Um, and. <laughs> 
there'll be plenty to say about James. I don't know. That <laughs> yeah, we it's like we don't even really here. need to get into <laughs> yeah. it right now. That's like four <laughs> episodes he, worth of, yeah, of he's, content. He's got he's got plenty of stuff going on, even in the rest of this episode. So, but you so, do get that kind of like. I'm kind of a cool guy. Yeah, like, yeah. Like a I'm very... kind of a cool guy, but he he's very distinct from Bobby, who is kind of a cool guy, but his way of doing it is to be resistant to everything and to be loud and to be emphatically himself. James feels like a guy who's trying so hard to, to be, be cool, cool and is like... like He's like, I saw a yeah. robot without a cause once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, you heard of boobs. I touched one. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, maybe. I'm cryptic. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, a uh, lot, lot going on with James. We'll we'll really crack that. Now yeah, yeah. We, that's a, that's for another time, on. maybe. Um, so, here we have maybe my favorite individual shot of the entire series, which I imagine I'll probably say once an episode on this podcast, but um, where after this brief conversation awkwardly between James and Donna happens and they all move away to class. There's this kid who like Yes, does the this kid who weird, does the funny dance. Like, he, dance. he closes his yeah. locker, spins on his heel, and does this weird video game yeah. type like he looks like an invader from Mars. Yeah. And like out of shot. It's kind of a robot and a shuffle and a wave at the same time. I don't know what it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's incredible. Maybe this was something people knew what this dance was in the 90s. I feel like or they something. were just like, do whatever you yeah. want. And he was like, this is my time to shine. And he like, he like side moonwalks away. It's yeah, very it's, it's weird. It's one of the weirdest things I've I ever love, seen. I honestly, one of my favorite scenes yeah. of the entire series, for sure. There's a. Pretty recently, somewhere around, I think, when the final episode of The Return ended and those books were coming out, uh, Mark Frost did an AMA on Reddit. And somebody asked him, like, what is the fucking deal with that guy who dances <laughs> off the screen in the first episode? And he's like, someday you'll find all the clues and figure out he was behind it all. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, he was the killer at the end. <laughs> he wasn't. Which is, an- which is another coin in the bank of, hey, even the guys that make this weird-ass show don't take it that seriously. Right, you, you don't need to either. Oh, my God. All right. So then we have, um, does, it, does that scene continue with the cops coming to so, tell them? Yeah, so we go into... Um, because Bobby finally ends up at school. Yeah, yeah. So it's he ends up at school. Period it's some. Time. It's somewhere in here. He like shows up, and it, there's like three people standing in a hallway, and they're like, "Uh, come talk to the cops." And we'll see him talking with the cops in a second. All the characters we just met in the hallway are now in a classroom, and they're calling roll, which is. A kind of really cheap, like, <laughs> story time trick of, like, how do we get all of our names? And, of course, all the characters we need named get named right in a row. Hey, so, where's Donna? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What's James's last name? <laughs> Just James here. Hurley. I, oh, yeah. James Hurley. Hurley. James, yeah. It's very, like, different. And then Audrey Horn. Yeah, Horn. So it's like, yeah, the, oh, so, okay. Yeah, so they just named yeah, all the that characters. Works. You're only friends with, yeah. You can only be friends with people if you have the same last initial. Yeah, so we get all their names really quickly there for... And, establishing yeah, purposes. Yeah, for establishing purposes, which is nice, especially given this episode is a very, like, fire hose aimed at a teacup situation in terms of how it delivers information. Um... And then we get this one shot that both the show and every analysis video of the show and every trailer of the show and everything and the return itself as it uses flashbacks will use as a 
repetition shot or just like a setting remember this moment shot of this random girl runs crying across the quad <laughs> with no context we don't know who she is we don't know what you never find out you never find Spoiler. anything out about this girl but man do we see a lot she of her is <laughs> in invested this in this bad news which again lends to my people only care about other people when they're dead, when they're dead. Who's yeah. this girl? who the fuck is who this yeah i bet you laura hated you yeah <laughs> and I wonder if that actress is still getting like eighty-seven cent like residuals. Like every time, <laughs> yeah. um, and that was great. Um, so at any rate, uh, and and this is kind of a good scene in the sense that there's a lot of tension because a cop comes to speak to this teacher, and you know Donna's like, "This is weird." She looks over at James. He's like, "This is weird," with his like awful haircut, and they just stare at each other, and then they look over at. Laura's empty seat, and then they're like, hmm. And they like immediately figure out, they're yeah, like, yeah. she's probably dead. You see this and they get slow, very upset. Yeah, you see this, like, I want to say slow, but it's actually rapid. It's just, it's slow in terms of that we see the gradual approach of this, like, dawning, dawning on it, yeah. on these characters. Yeah, and so we get their sort of various reactions where Donna here bursts directly into tears. Um, James angrily snaps his pencil yeah, but but like also thumb. is like trying to make his eyes as wide as possible it's it's earlier I described norma as having very good face acting james's face acting in the scene very How did he poor get this job i'm infuriated <laughs> well and you know you know what's funny is i actually think his performance in the return is quite good but yeah, i he feel says like three words yeah yeah no i know but like even and they shaved his head but, but in the first show in this pilot episode he says like three words and it's like noticeably horrible so it's yeah, like I, well, <laughs> 30 years yeah, or whatever yeah. he's like I'm so, gonna get better at this I mean it, it adds credence to the thing that Lynch really does just cast people because they look weird he's just like <laughs> like oh that, that guy has a weird forehead like let's get that okay. um gonna have a big edit jump there in the podcast That's fine. Yeah, sorry about that uh, I'm distracting so, everyone what was I talking about James, James. how awful Yeah, but I don't is. want to be talking about James. Okay, so well, let's like, move on. His to kids the next in the classroom scene. are He's all a pretty douchey IMDb photo. I guess he looks great there. <laughs> I mean, and comparatively, awful, like, yeah. <laughs> Where's that James? <laughs> yeah, I know. Gladiator, At least that James oh, really? seems yeah. like a bad person. He probably fucks, but like, other <laughs> yeah, James, not so much. This James. Well, unfortunately, he does. That's what the real problem with James in this <laughs> and series. James is just spoiler. <laughs> Sorry, so, James has fucked. That's that's a spoiler. Yeah. Um, um, so he's bad. We're okay. So we cut from these kids realizing what happened here in the classroom to the cops are putting the squeeze on Bobby Briggs. It's starting here at the school. They're interviewing him. We, this is our first scene with Deputy Hawk. He his yeah. first shot he's in. He's, he walked by in the background during that hallway scene, but this is the first time he's had any screen time. And he's just immediately not here for Bobby's bullshit. Yeah, he's just oh, like, he's the best. yeah, it's like it, he already is established as like the one cop who seems competent, like, yeah. and hasn't even really had a character moment. But it's like, oh, I see. Like, this cop is, who, is not here to about. play. Yeah, he's not fucking around. When well, the best too is he, Bobby really presents himself as, uh, of course, I can't stop thinking about Aiden, but as someone who maybe hasn't done anything wrong, but definitely seems guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what do I even do? Yeah. Why are you even talking to me right now? And it's like, I don't, I mean, you might not have killed this girl, but you're definitely up to yeah, you're, Something's wrong with you. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say, um, I, I said, we never see Bobby with Laura before th- yeah. this, and we will eventually in other contexts, but for now, we've never seen Bobby with Laura. So, 
we know he's a disingenuous shit when he's going, I loved her! Because, like, we've seen him with another girl who yeah. he loved already. So it's like, okay, so we know that's bullshit. But he also doesn't read as having killed her. Like, he, he doesn't seem even capable of that. He's from just what like we a bumbling teen. He's a bumbling like, asshole. But there also does come across this sense that He's done something bad. Yeah. And we don't quite know what it is. It's it's all really laid in there. And again, uh, Ashbrook's performance here as this character is like pretty hammy, but it's all in his performance. Yeah. It's actually quite good. When you know what good. happens with the character later and everything, it all comes across in the way he does his performance, reads his lines. His facial expressions are like god tier. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's great. He, he could he could do like that like vaudeville stuff where you can read his facial expression from like the back of a room. You know, <laughs> it's it's he's really a great good. actor. Yeah. Um, I have another note in here about wanting Donna's shirt, so she must have shown back up here at some point. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, okay, so we get this first shot of of the uh, Laura Palmer photo, the, the sort of iconic yes, photo iconic. that is like... Prom photo. Yeah, you're going to see it forever. You see it in like the case of the school, so it's clear she was like the prom queen or something. Yeah. Which, again, back to this conversation about cliches... It, already associates some Americana lore with her as the prom Yeah, she's like the all-American, good yeah. girl, good student, in, in beautiful, sort of the, the everyone wh- loves her. The white virginal dress thing yeah. that she's in with the tiara. Everyone like loves a, her. Some girl is running across campus screaming, screaming. because she's dead. Like, yeah. Um, and then we cut from that photo of it to in the Palmer house, where we can see the photo there. And I think it's a slightly different photo. It is. It is <laughs> that angle is slightly different. There's two like, different ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I don't think I've ever really... Because when I see the photo, it's just like an icon in my brain. So it's just like, yeah, okay, that's the that's picture. That's one of those things, too, like, where it's like, Lynch was trying to talk about the impermanence of memory. And it's like, no, that was, was just like, no, we photos. really just fucked <laughs> it up. Yeah, 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 There was a continuity error. It's fine. <laughs> um, but no, it is a slightly different photo. I've seen things, like, written up about it, so... Yeah, this so, is a show that I have been like. I will devour every Reddit, every, yeah, everything that exists. Um, so we're back in the Palmer house. Um, they kind of drug Sarah and ask her some questions. It's not. Um, let's see. Uh, the doctor is there. Um, Harry Truman's there. They're not really getting much that's useful out of her. Um, we get that shot up the staircase again, and she's like, what's going on upstairs? All of a sudden, and they're like, it, it's okay. They're like, Leland just walking around, Leland, she's like, I know Leland that it's not the, her. It yeah. doesn't sound like her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and, like, well, yeah, because she's dead. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm just- <laughs> but again, we these associations with Sarah, the house, it's all, like, that's all, etch it into your soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very important. Yeah. Um, so we're up there, and um, in Laura's room, Leland is kind of like sitting there like a very sad Muppet, which is sort of, sort of not, I don't mean that as funny as I do. He's like, Wise's performance is great, but he's just like very yeah, he's deflated. He's de- like, very yeah. like just defeated. And, and Hawk, Deputy Hawk, again, the one competent police guy is like picking up shit in Laura's room to like check out and stuff. And he picks up her diary and Leland goes, do you have to take that? And he says, yeah, well, we'll give yeah. it back. And that's one of those things where you don't notice it the first time through the series, but this time you go, I might be setting something mm, up. I wonder, I wonder if Lily's concerned about that diary a little bit. Hmm. Might be, mm. might be worth thinking about in the future here. Just tuck that little tidbit of dialogue away for later. 
Um, okay, from here we cut to the Packard sawmill. Can I, I wrote down, log subplots are so boring. And I know they're, like, important to the show, but I do not check out faster than when they're, like, the politics of the logging community. Like, I'm just, like, I don't, I don't care about any of this. (laughs) Like, truly they could have cut all that shit out, and I would have been, like, hmm, all right. Like, I wouldn't have even noticed. Like, Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think that the point... If I had to guess, <laughs> and I do, <laughs> is that, like, sort of, these are the things this community was concerned with before all the bullshit that yeah. we're eventually going to get into as a result yeah, of this, this murder. Yeah, this was their biggest it, issue. Yeah, yeah. But, and I think this sort of idea is that this was the this was the main shit going down in the town. And now, all of a sudden, it feels like a subplot. And I think that's important. It also has the effect of going, like, why are we doing this whole thing? Um... What is important about it is uh, how the dynamic it establishes here between the widow, Josie Packer, um, Catherine Martell, and Pete Martell. Right. Right. Um, and their involvement in in the, uh, the mill. And we get really quick here an argument between Catherine and Josie that's like somebody was like you need to put some exposition in this scene and it was like okay and it's like I know you inherited the mill but you shouldn't be ordering these people around so it's like oh, okay we got it yeah, got it now <laughs> jo- Josie owns the mill and Catherine's Catherine wa- not happy Catherine's about it. not happy about it and thinks she really owns the mill and Peter Catherine's sort of like um like defeated yeah husband. defeated yeah. husband is just sort of like knows that Josie or at least from what we know and from what he knows, is the more sort of uh, put together, the more reasonable person. And here she's saying they should stop operations for the day because of um, the other girl that went missing. Which well, it's, for, it's like a two-punch, like, to, to be respectful for Laura. To be respectful for Laura. But also because Ronette Pulaski, right? Polanski? Pulaski? Pulaski? Ronette. Her father works at the mill. Right. And she has gone missing. There's another girl missing. So we have a dead girl and a missing girl. And right now, they're not sure if it's connected or anything, but there's just this two-layer thing happening. Might as well just shut down the mill. So Josie's like, let's stop operations for the day. Catherine is pissed. Josie has this great line, Peter, push the plug. Which (laughs) is is, is one of these, like, semi-racist references we'll get about, like, Josie supposedly not being able to speak good English, even though she, like, speaks 99% of her lines 100% correctly, and then there'll be a random wrong verb, and it'll be like, this is not how people who speak ESL talk. (laughs) I want to say, too, that in one of the books, it established that she actually, like, is a tutor, like an English tutor, so she's like... Yeah. Like any like any like goofiness on her part well, is maybe like play acting because she's like not this like yeah. dumb, you know, like oh, like it's very like uh set up for her to be like she's just like this dumb Asian girl doesn't know right. what she's saying, but it's that's not her at all. Like, right. And like as literally the first shot in the series implies, we're going to see a lot about her identity in particular uh, become interesting here. So I don't want to dig too deep into that here. Right. But it's one of these things where there's an Occam's razor kind of thing where it's like, were they really trying to communicate that complicated of an identity thing with her? Or is it just kind of like a shitty nineties light racism? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) 
Be interested to the talk night, to, It was not a very woke time. Be interested to talk to Mr. Yamamoto about that in a few <laughs> oh. uh, in a few episodes. Uh, um, probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm already kind of uncomfortable about covering that. Well, Let's not worry about it right now. Okay, that's like second season, so we don't have to worry too. Or is it first season? I don't even... I, I, I feel like it's right at the beginning of the second season. Yeah. I, it it's matter. a while away. We don't have to think about it. Um, there's a great line here that's not really that important, but Catherine Martell walks down the stairs angry that... Josie has gotten her way, shutting down the plant for the day, and she's like, "What's your name?" To some random guy, and he says her name. <laughs> like, and she goes, "You're fired." Yeah, and then walks I like out. that part. <laughs> even though supposedly she doesn't own the mill, so <laughs> can't she even fire this Who guy? Knows? I don't know, but it's a great thing for Catherine to say anyway. So then we just immediately smash cut from that to who we will very shortly find out the other missing girl, Ronette, just. Walking in walking. dead silence with a zombie-like stare, um, with lots of weird little wounds and a tore-up dress, like across like a rusted, dilapidated bridge, and to no sound, no music, yeah. no anything, and it's way off in the distance, and it's like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah, it's at very all. foreboding. <laughs> yeah, especially. Like, I want to go back to the wacky people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very like. The show really has a rhythm to it where it'll be like, it'll dump some weird thing, like the sort of disturbing image of Laura's body on you. And then it'll be like, oh, fishing and, you know, these like strange people having arguments in the town. And then like, oh, oh, here's another horrible thing. Horrible <laughs> abuse. Yeah. Uh, and then we go to Big Ed, don't we? Yes. Yes. I, I have Big heard, Ed. I have here in my notes, Big Ed is the only man in my life. Um, I have Big Ed stonewashed jeans. Happy face. Happy face. <laughs> His jeans are like upper, like way across. I know. They're like fucking, they're like directly <laughs> under his pecs. It's like his shirt is tucked into like that, like in into the space between his pectoral muscles. It's uh, so fucking good. And he just like kind of like James, I, I think this is right James where. James comes up and he's like, I heard about Laura. And James goes, she was the one. And I wrote, she was the one. Shut the fuck up, James. Yeah, yeah. Because well, it's the way he said he's like looks off to like the left. N- neither of them like, are really looking at each other. Like James is like on his motorcycle, st- still staring down the road. So just kind of go down the road alive. And he's like, she was the one. And Ed is like kind of casually leaning on like, and, on, like a gas, gas pump. pump yeah. And he's like... Yep. <laughs> he's like just <laughs> Hank Hill like, the shit out of that scene. He's like, sorry about Laura. Sucks, man. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so weird. It's a weird scene because it also establishes that Ed is married to Nadine. Yes. With an eye patch who is very frantic about hanging up yeah. some curtains. Some drapes. Some drapes. And so I, I have this as a note here. I had forgotten that Nadine's very first line was about the fucking drapes. (laughs) The first line she speaks in the series is about the drapes. Let's see if anything further happens with Nadine (laughs) and drapes in this show. Uh, Uh, A casual watcher will think... She seems to really like drapes. Yeah. They would not be wrong. Yeah. She's obsessed with the drapes. And he has this look like, really, it's like, ma'am. fuck me. And, then, and so James is like, she was the one. And you know Big Ed's like, well, she definitely is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know that scene in Superbad where, uh, like, McLovin drops that whole case of beer on the ground because he's nervous and yeah. it, like, shatters. <laughs> and, and he's like, somebody needs to clean that up. And then the guy who's, like, the, the gas station employee or whatever goes... Fuck my life. Yeah, that is <laughs> that's, Ed. that's Big Ed in that scene when, <laughs> when Nadine pokes out to scream at him in like the most 
Okay, now could you be as shrill as possible? That's my David yeah, Lynch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it reminds my, me like, of like nineteen fifties baseball announcer voice. <laughs> like it reminds <laughs> me of the way she says the thing about the drapes. Reminds me of in Billy Madison when they put the shit on the guys, and the, you hear the woman in the house go, "Don't put it out with your boots, Ed." And he's like, "Don't tell me what to do," and he does. <laughs> like that's all I could think of. Uh, it's like they were channeling that when they made that movie. Ugh. Okay, so you can tell Nadine is a hard time. <laughs> it's it's no not fault of her it's own. not going well in the Big Ed Nadine <laughs> household. <laughs> okay, so here um, now after about an hour and fifteen minutes or so of discussion and about what amounts to thirty six minutes of uninterrupted screen time, uh, we meet the main character of the show. <laughs> 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 who is introduced kind of unceremoniously driving a car in in the woods, talking into a tape recorder. His first word is Diane. Wonder if that'll be important here. Uh, I have it written. There was a fan theory before the return happened that Diane was actually the name of the recorder. Oh, really? And I liked that show a lot when that was the theory. <laughs> we all know what happens, and well, we all know I'm not thrilled with it but well, i so i actually had fritz because i was eating right down i liked it better when diane was a recorder <laughs> well also can we talk about this scene because he's talking and he's like diane and and he's very um he he describes a lot of things and he's like you know it's it's 236 it's february 20th whatever the uh weathermen who get paid to be wrong 60% of the time. And I wrote down, Dale Cooper has shocking opinions about weathermen. Like, like hostile opinions. See, see, I noted this exact same line, <laughs> but for slightly different reasons. Because, uh, see, he, as we'll see... He's so mad! This is, not, this is not a spoiler, but as... Well, it is a very minor spoiler for, like, one episode in the future. But, like, as we'll see... Throughout the series, Coop is very reliant on things like dreams or like a random feeling he had when he went somewhere. So he goes, huh, weathermen being wrong 60% of the time. That seems like a good way to make a living. It's like, you are a crazy person. <laughs> In one episode, he's going to be throwing rocks at, like, at, at hit- other rocks. It's going to be like, whichever rock hits the other rock, that's what we do. <laughs> he's going to hit rocks and bottles. He'd be like, that's a suspect. Yeah. Like, so I have to say, he is, I wrote Dale Cooper, big dick energy. Because he, Profound. He is it's just like, shown I need a hotel. Yeah. I need it to be clean. I, and it's like, okay, I will he bend over backwards shit. to get this have, for you. Have you ever seen any of those uh, reality shows around the WWE women? Uh, yeah, here and there. Yeah, yeah. So so whenever John Cena is on screen, uh, which he used to be a lot because he was dating Nikki Bella for a long time, like, he is very, like, uh, and this is how you fold clothes in this house, and this is what this table is used for, and you can't use this utensil to do this thing in the kitchen, and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's Dale Cooper is John Cena. Dale Cooper yeah. is John Cena. All right. <laughs> Reboot time. <laughs> so he's finally arriving to Twin Peaks to... Because, of course, the FBI has to... Why does the FBI have to do this, like, look into this girl's murder? We don't know yet. We don't it's know kind yet. It's an odd thing to be like, oh, yeah. we're going to call in the FBI for one dead girl. And, and Cooper has a sort of an explanation later that doesn't ring super true. No, it's, and, it's weird. <laughs> 
Yeah, so... Yeah, but watching it, like, as a first-time watcher, you're like, okay, the FBI, whatever. Yeah, it's the whatever. 90s. Yeah, They're yeah. calling the FBI all yeah, the time, and, and I it's, guess. And it's like, the show still ostensibly reads as a cop, like, procedural for the next, you know, ten episodes yeah. or so. So it's like, yeah, all right, whatever, this guy in a suit, that makes sense. The FBI shows up in television shows about murders. It's fine. You know? Yeah, that's um, the thing. That's how the FBI works, I assume. Yeah. It's really, and, and this is another clever thing that I think uh, Lynch puts in here, is you only really get suspicious about it when later on Coop is like, oh, by the way, this is why I'm here and have to do this. It's like, hmm. Yeah, they could have never yeah, mentioned could, it. They could never really like, said anything about FBI, it, and it would have just continued right. on. So I think that's the sort of... Um, I, again, comes back to this thing about how cliches get dealt with. Even though there are a lot of them in the show, there's a way that they get handled that right. that shows some forethought. Um, so he like shows up in the hallway at the hospital um, and runs into Harry Truman, and he's like, "We gotta get some stuff straight." Like when the FBI gets called in, the bureau is in charge, and Harry's like. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah that's we're, we're literally how that works. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. That's why I, yeah, I think that's then, why I wrote like, the big dick And then he goes, thing. what kind of trees do you have around here? <laughs> Douglas firs. <laughs> they smell amazing. He's so into the Douglas yeah. firs. They are beautiful trees, I mean. Um, but I do like how he's like, this is how it's going to go. Like, no one was questioning yeah, yeah. He really didn't have to. He didn't have to. He needed to be in charge, though. <laughs> Coop likes things a certain way, yeah. as we'll come to know very intimately. Um, now, now we go to the scene where he examines Laura's body. Well, so right? I think they go first to visit Ronette. That's right. Because the reason he's ostensibly called here immediately is Ronette has just showed up at the hospital, and he's like, "Cool, I'd like to question her." It's like uh, she's basically a vegetable, as yeah. like the nurse tells us. And he's like, does this weird thing where he's looking at her fingernails, and no, I can't find anything. And they're like. Yeah, no, no. We looked at her fingernails. We know what we're doing. And then, like, yeah, and then she does a really, like, typical, I kind of hate this scene where she does a very, she does a very, like, don't go in there. And it's like, it's like one of the few instances on this show where I'm just like, all right. Like, like, Ronette, do you have something to tell us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to come back. We'll circle back around to Ronette. She's in, like, a coma or something, but, like, she woke up just to say this, like, vague phrase that doesn't mean anything. Um, and so they get in the elevator to go down to the, uh, uh, morgue. Uh, morgue. Yeah. There's a one-armed guy standing in front of them in the elevator, gets off on a different floor. That we'll never see him again. Yeah, that's probably was... the last that's gonna happen to that guy. It's a wacky uh, character. It's a strange extras choice there. Um, and then this guy sees them through the elevator, he's like, oh, hey! And then, like, the door's <laughs> close, and then they continue to go down, and... And you can neither, tell! <laughs> neither Cooper nor Harry reacts, but Cooper kind of looks at Harry, and Harry... Just with that same wall-eyed thing that he does when uh, when uh, Lucy is talking to him at the beginning of the episode, like some of the best blank face acting ever happens on the. You can tell he's just like, please don't ask Sheriff me Truman. about this guy. Yeah, I just God, I please can't. No. These are just people and, and, I don't want to be dealing with. And, and then the elevator door opens up, and Jacoby, the guy who was waving at them, is there, like he's run down the stairs or something, and you can tell Truman's like. Fuck. Like, uh, he's got this amazing tie with a hula girl on it. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, that tie but is the lay like actually comes off. It's like straw. <laughs> it's like on the tie, so he's like flicking and messing around with it as he's talking. He's ear he has earplugs in. in and he asks questions and then they respond and he can't hear. It's so good, man. <laughs> it is like, good. Um Wow, it makes me feel like this town might not be all it's cracked up to be. And and so you don't really get a lot from this scene here when they have this conversation with Dr. Jacoby, but he says, oh, Laura was a patient of mine. 
Um, but you know, <laughs> her parents probably didn't know. So like, uh, like don't tell anybody. So it's like, oh yeah, that's not suspicious at all. Um, <laughs> How and, are you paying yeah, for yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then we go to the autopsy scene. Well, I I just want to point out when they walk away from him, <laughs> Coop goes. That guy's a psychiatrist? <laughs> yeah. Like, and Harry goes, yep. <laughs> like, it's, it's too weird even for Coop. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, even, uh, yeah, even Coop can't handle it. And we already, in like the less than five minutes he's been on screen so far, we're like, if it's weird for this guy, yeah, it's way too it's fucking weird. weird. <laughs> yeah. So then we, we go into the autopsy room, or where the body is, rather. It, something is said about, oh, the autopsy isn't complete yet or something. Um, they're in the room. I love this scene for yeah. just because of the two funny things that happened. The fuck to ups it. here. The, yeah. the light flickers, and you're like, "Ooh, um, this is like another thing about people reading into stuff." The light flickers. That was just a mistake. Yeah, like, yeah. It wasn't the, supposed the to. The lights flickering. were flickering, and David Lynch was like, "Great, let's record <laughs> in this room." <laughs> and, and, and then it's like, whatever. And then there's a guy working in the autopsy room, like one of the medical examiners or whatever. And Cooper says to him, can you leave us alone? And he goes, oh, I'm Jim. Yeah, so, so I've written it here. He goes, would you leave us, please? Uh, Jim, would you leave us alone, please? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> he works out. And that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. I think he thought he He blew said, his line. Yeah, he he was, I think him. he thought he said, what's your name, please? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm Jim. And he's like, that's not what I fucking asked. Like, Get <laughs> yeah. the fuck out. But it's just so funny that it's just one of those like little bits of trivia that... That that he was like, we're just going to keep this. Why not? Lights are flickering. People don't know what they're saying. It's it's just this sort of. It's actually more kind of realistic. Like that's how a yeah, thing. Yeah. That's one of those things. Like those those B comics where it's like, I'm going to go to sleep. What about that thing you said 15 years ago? Yeah, yeah, and it shows yeah, yeah, the yeah. bee like all upset <laughs> with like a nose, like totally. <laughs> like it's definitely like one of those. Oh man, I fucked up my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> I love that scene. Like, we've got to put that in the final cut. Um, People will read into it for years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, Coop has returned to his, like, little finger, <laughs> finger-specific microscope thing that he has. Oh, I hate this thing, too, because it's so... But, but this time, he apparently finds what he's looking for, and he pulls, like, a tiny, like, letter out of her finger. It's the letter R, and Harry, who has been pretty, like, stoic the whole time, is like, is like... There's, he's like, you better tell me what's going on here, agent. And then Cooper gets his fucking smile. He goes, Sheriff, we got a lot to talk about. Oh, he's so creepy. He's like, so, just like, he's very, like, yeah. creepy in this. I'm like, I know. For someone who is, like, like, hot to trot most of the time, he's very foreboding in this episode. It's yeah. like, ugh. So we get Donna from the school earlier shows up in, like, a shitty station wagon at Big Ed's gas station place. And she's like, oh, have you seen James? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, oh, where'd he go? And he's like, I don't know. But he conveniently gave me this letter to give you. So it's nice that you happen to drive by here. <laughs> oh, that's a pleasant like, surprise. He, like, hands her the letter. And it's, like, a piece of, like, wide-ruled notebook paper that has, in, like, the giantest <laughs> block writing that, that nobody would ever write in. Like, it like, <laughs> says, meet me at the roadhouse at 930. And she's like, oh, okay. So. <laughs> like, he could have just said, can you tell Donna if you yeah, meet, meet me at the roadhouse? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Like I like this scene, though, because Big Ed's like, I'm sorry about Laura and hugs her. And I wrote down, you can just tell he genuinely cares about people. He's just such, like, he's a big, 
big, like, foreboding kind of dude, but he's kind of a soft. But, he's like, yeah. come here and let me hug you for a second. Is, I, I'm sorry yeah. your friend is dead. It's just kind of like a touching thing. I don't know. We, we've talked about the big dick energy, but there's yeah. also a big heart. In there yeah, there's too. a big heart. <laughs> big dick, big heart. The Ed Hurley story. <laughs> um, so here, Donna's boyfriend shows up. We've seen him in the background. Mike. Mike, yeah, we've seen him in the background of a shot of the football team earlier. We know he's kind of like Bobby's crony because we've seen them hanging out a bit. Um, and it's great because he shows up and he does some serious like, Donna, get in my car now. You're not allowed to be places because you're a woman. And then Big Ed's Big Ed, the guy that works at the auto shop and gas station, goes muffle it, which I think is just a great. <laughs> Just I only mock. speak in car yeah. metaphors. <laughs> yeah. And then Nadine yells at Ed again. And like Donna's like, I sure know how to pick him. And Ed goes, I guess I do too. What kills me too is the guy who plays Mike has always looked like he's 48. Yeah. Like he's like, hey, good in the car. He's supposed to be like 17. And he just looks like someone's dad Well, already. he's hilarious in the... This is it, neither here nor there, but when he shows up very briefly in the return, he just looks exactly the same. Yeah. It's hilarious. It was like so weird that I was almost like, did they CGI him or something? Yeah. He looks too it's similar. Very, it's very like strange. everybody else clearly has aged 25 years and he just looks like the same guy. It's really weird. Um, okay, so we're, we're in the police station. We have this diary again. That I love this finds. scene. This scene is so good for so many reasons, but chief among them is. Cooper being like, "Do we have the key for this?" and and uh, Harry goes, "Oh, we're uh, we're still looking." And he just goes, "Chink!" He yeah, just like, he's like he just rips like the a... thing open. Like, why why the hell are you looking for the key? And, <laughs> it's a dead girl's diary. But as a as a young girl, as a former young girl, this is a diary that every girl has had. Yeah, and it truly probably doesn't even need a diary. You just hold down a little clasp on the side and open it. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not something that's like, we got to find the key or else our secrets are never going to be revealed. Yeah. I don't know. It's so funny. And it goes like kind of flying too, which is like, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. really funny. And, and then they just kind of look at each other in a brief moment of silence. Like, with the that just flashes. happened? Yeah. I'm not going to mention the fact that you didn't think of that. That's what Cooper's thinking. Yeah. I'm going to just not, not blow up your spot here. So Coop finds a key, a safety deposit key and some white powder in here. He's like, oh, obviously she was doing cocaine. And Harry Truman is like, under no circumstances, so help me God, has anybody in the town of Twin Peaks ever even heard of cocaine? And Narrator. And, yeah. They, they have. Yeah, Ron Howard voice. They had. <laughs> they did. They were still doing they, yeah, it. They, they were doing it. And Coop's like, uh, no, no, she was doing cocaine. Like, this and he's is literally like, cocaine. He's like, okay, but no, she, she wasn't doing it. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to send this to the lab. <laughs> and she was doing cocaine. <laughs> You'll see. And Look, you owe me a coke. Yeah, yeah. How about that? And then this, this scene ends with possibly one of the greatest moments ever. Um, again, multiple times in the episode, this is going to happen. Uh, where Cooper, it just ends on this moment where Cooper turns away from Harry after this sort of mildly heated conversation about cocaine. And he picks something up off the table and he goes... Diane, I'm holding in my hand a small box of chocolate bunnies. And then it smash cuts away to something else. And that lays the seed of a mystery that will remain until the, the return season 25 years later. This, like, throwaway instant joke. <laughs> it's so good. I know. It's very satisfying. Um, uh, now we go to Donna's house. Are we correct? Um, With one of the first major missteps of the show. So... I have here 
My next note is about Donna's house. My next note is about I mean, Bobby sorry. in the interrogation Audrey's room. Ha- Audrey's house. Oh, yeah, yes, house. yes, yes, Audrey's house. Um, is that the next scene? So I, I have, um, I've got, my next note is about Bobby in the interrogation room. I do think there's some kind of brief scene in between them that maybe I'm not remembering. I feel so. like, and I could be wrong, but I don't think it matters in terms of, like, narrative talking here, but we have the scene where Audrey is home with her mother who looks very stressed out. Oh, and yeah, they yeah, cut Johnny. to Audrey's brother, who is um a special needs person with a Native American headdress on, smashing his head over and over okay, into so, a dog. So I have this later. Um, oh, it must it must have been later, but since I'm yeah. already into it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Possibly the first problematic misstep of the entire show. Yeah. A show that has many problematic misteps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's it's very like it's it's one of these things where it's like oh the character is autistic he's just doing a thing but it's like no you threw like a native headdress on him because you thought it looked funny yeah it doesn't matter what the he's, context he's is. doing a thing that is also played up as like look at him he's hitting his head over yeah, it. Yeah. and it's just very and, and, and it has so, not it probably didn't read very well back then yeah. and it definitely has not aged yeah, well it it, it, it and it's like the thing where you associate that kind of stuff with the guy who's developmentally challenged or whatever. Yes. So now you're like, okay, so what statement are you making? Like, probably you weren't thinking through, this will show those Indians, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. like, but what you did is you did a thing that was offensive and you just didn't think about it. And now, 25 years later, on this seminal show, it's like, here's like a vague racist moment for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> thanks and thanks for enjoying television. To, <laughs> only to establish that Laura was his like tutor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and the it's only like, purpose he of the scene. He didn't even have to be severely autistic. He yeah. could have just been a kid who wasn't great at math. I mean, great granted, Johnny pays off in some interesting ways as the series goes on. Yeah. But this but particular this, this moment, moment not good. Didn't not probably good. didn't land that great to begin with. No, definitely, it definitely does not land. Now. Yeah. It, it, I, it was the first time I like physically was like ugh. And in nineteen ninety nine in nineteen ninety that's a laugh moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's That's definitely a laugh movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's hitting his head over and over again, and he's dressed yeah. like a Native American. Right. It, yeah. It's only there to be like, and it's, it's like, look at the mom is so stressed out. Like, it's only there to be funny, yeah. and it's not funny. Yeah, it's like kind of offensive to developmentally challenged or autistic people. It's definitely offensive to Native Americans, and it's like, it doesn't really even need to happen. Yeah, like, yeah <laughs> it's a, a scene that would not have, it's like I said, he could have just been someone who wasn't great at school. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. he didn't have to be yeah. this, like. It's it's really bizarre. Yeah. And it Again, Johnny's character does come back in interesting ways, and there's a particular scene in The Return that is, like, so fucking heartbreaking with him in yes. it. So I don't want to say this is only bad faith, but, like, this scene is bad, yeah, especially out of context. Yeah, it's just it's, bad. It's real bad. But let's go back to Bobby being... Okay. Uh... So Bobby's being interrogated at the police station, um, and he's there with another Super Mario Brothers Super Show-looking character. He's, like, a lawyer. Um, and... They all look like Goombas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's, like... Um, Harry and Coop are talking to him and he's just blowing up at everything. It, it's continuing what we know about Bobby where A, he's just resistant to everything what regardless of what the topic is, regardless of what the context is and B, that like he probably didn't kill Laura and Coop decides that he's figured that out during this scene and yeah. like very unsubtly types it on like a weird little 1990s think pad or something <laughs> to to uh harry during the scene which is kind of hilarious but like he also definitely seems like he's done some shit that is not good and is not 
thrilled to be in the police office yeah. and being under questioning. So he just it's one like, of those like I know I didn't kill her, so I'm not really worried about that. But, but all the other shit yeah, is but, like, better but not there's come some out shit too. that yeah. I don't want to talk about while I'm here. So instead, he just keeps screaming, "Why does it matter if I had a fight with her? I didn't kill her. I didn't do anything. Blah blah blah." And there's one of my favorite scenes in here, and I did not know this when I first enjoyed this, but like. I saw an interview with Kyle McLaughlin where he said, when I was first doing this character, I was having a really hard time figuring him out. He's like, so particular and so weird. And like, I'm not sure where my energy level is supposed to be at. And he said, so we shot this interrogation scene with Bobby and I was being more aggressive. I was trying to be like, this is, I'm like an agent. I'm like trying to get to the bottom of this case. And, and, um, David Lynch was like, okay, so like take a deep breath and let's try not to get upset about it this time. And so then Coop has this, moment here where Bobby's like screaming and blowing up and stuff and Cooper just smiles and he goes Bobby here's how this works we ask the questions and then you answer them briefly and to the point <laughs> and he said and that's when I understood the character is when yeah, I did that yeah. he's like oh okay I know who this guy is now <laughs> which I think is so funny that that was like as an actor that was where the character was born in yeah. that scene and you can like kind of feel it happening with that knowledge you know it's a really fun moment. I do that to my teens a lot in class. It usually it's doesn't happen. It usually doesn't work because nothing works on teens. But no. it, I, it's for my own amusement, not theirs. Uh, Imagine if, like, years later, they watch Twin Peaks and they're like, "Oh my god, that's what Mr. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So we've got this scene here um, at the Great Northern where Audrey is sitting at. The Great Northern Hotel, where Audrey is sitting at the desk with uh, the mullet lady and is, like, fucking around and stuff. She, like, pokes a hole in a coffee cup and is, like, spilling all of her papers that are apparently important. And, oh, ah, ah, and then oh she, like, she's such a bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she, she wanders into the room where the Norwegians who are thinking about buying land here are meeting. And she, like, kind of slinks in there and makes a big deal of being in there. And everybody sort of turns to look. And I... The guy who's, like, sitting at the front of the room turns to talk to her in, like, this very creepy way. Is like, oh, what do you need, pretty lady or something? And she goes, she makes a big performance of, my good friend got murdered right here. <laughs> and just, like, going on and on about gross details. And obviously just, like, throwing a bomb into this deal that her dad is trying to make this happen here. This is a here. good scene for Audrey because it establishes, too, that she's not this, like, good girl. She's actually just kind of an annoying rich girl. Yeah, yeah. She's sitting there poking holes in a coffee cup and she's like, what would happen if I took the pencil out of this? Yeah. It would spill everywhere. And then she does it. And her character... Just, just to be a bitch. Like, not yeah. for any reason. And her character arc is fascinating and really weird and gets really strange in the supplementary materials. <laughs> yes. And so that's going to be so, a lot of fun to but discuss she's in just the future. Like, She's just a but, rich, bored yeah. bitch, really. As, as we know, Audrey here, she is a rich girl who's used to getting everything she wants and acting out when she does not. And so that's what we've learned here. Um, we get a quick moment here of Bobby leaving the interrogation room. Um, he's pissed. Uh, he uh, sees his friend um, Mike in the hallway, and he's like, you sort your girl out yet? Because uh, Donna's also here answering questions. And Mike goes, I don't know what's wrong with her. Um, in the story, Donna's best friend just died. So <laughs> it's like, it's like even like, like even in terms of how thick are we supposed to believe Mike is? Like it's well, superhuman. To Mike's credit, when my best friend died when I was 17, 
Like a month later, my boyfriend was like, "Ugh, you're gonna be sad about this forever." <laughs> so like, I probably mean, like, yes. It was, like a, month, it was like a good month. It wasn't like that same afternoon, but yeah. it's not really Still. out of the realm of possibility that that teen boys are often very stupid and don't really care about anybody else's feelings but themselves. So, but um, it is kind of a funny like, God, why is she being such a bitch? Yeah, like, yeah. incredible. Um, we get Coop and. Um, we get Coop and, uh, uh, oh, actually, it's just Coop in this scene. He's talking to Donna in the interrogation room again. And I didn't mention this during the Bobby thing, but they have this video that they found among Laura's stuff that shows Laura and Donna are, like, dancing and acting bizarre up in the mountains. We're getting the sense this might be the picnic James is talking about earlier. And Coop is pretty insistent drugs were involved because they obviously were. So <laughs> picnic is the code word for we're going to go out and do drugs and do weird shit um we know we, we've got a good situational irony thing here where we as the audience know that it's probably james with the camera since he does this stuff with her but um in the scene coop is trying to get donna to be like okay we know you guys were out partying i have the video like don't bullshit me on this who's holding the camera and she's like uh like a, a hiker just like yeah, some oh, random funny hiker yeah, i don't like know a, what her I, name i never was. knew her name whatever and then like he's like coop's like getting the sense he's gonna she's going to become uncooperative if he pushes anymore he's like all right but you know we're going to keep looking into this and uh, if you have any like brainwaves maybe you should maybe no, you should let uh, us know some yeah. stuff in the future and then she goes and then uh um um we get harry coming in with a lead about like oh there's we've got some uh we've got a lead there's something about a biker guy named jay and kuka's Oh, yeah. And then he does, like, the most ridiculous <laughs> 90s version of Enhanced from CSI ever, where he just, like, waits for a moment where Laura's face happens to be close to the camera, pauses it, you've got VHS pause lines and stuff on it, <laughs> and he, like, points in and the snowy. reflection in her retina, he goes, looks like a hog to me. And it's like, <laughs> it's not even a hog! It's like, it's, it's like, it's see a motorcycle, and it, it's just one of the funniest moments of anything ever. It's he's just like, so good. Got him. And, and he's like, and the way he's doing it is he's like sitting like casually, like with one leg across and he like reaches the, the controller around his back to like click the thing. It's like, it's so stupid. It, it's... But you know back then people were like, oh my god! There's, there's like... <laughs> there was a biker named Jay! There was James motorcycle! Um, so... <laughs> Now we, we see the fallout of Audrey's actions in the business meeting with the Norwegian visitors. They're all scrambling out the door while the mullet lady madly rings the bell at the desk, screaming, The Norwegians are leaving! For no apparent <laughs> I good reason. with the Norwegians! Yeah, yeah I wrote and, Norwegians um, in big letters not, here. Not really a lot to say about this. It's just really strange and weird, and we can see that... Audrey has been successful in blowing up her dad's business deal. Um, again, this is the least interesting content at the moment. It will eventually dovetail into some better plot lines, but at the right now, it's kind of a backdrop yeah, to what we've got going greatest. on. Um, this is where I had the note about the scene with Johnny, so I think this is oh okay also part yeah. Of this so I must have just when we're seeing over. the house there. Um, Coop and Harry show up at the bank to check out this uh, safe, safe deposit box. And there's this great scene here where they just walk into the room where you open the boxes up, and there's this giant, like, decapitated deer head, like, <laughs> on the table. And then they everybody stops and stares at it, including the bank attendee. And then they all, and the, the bank teller says, Oh, it fell down. 
<laughs> like it was hanging up in the room or whatever, but it was just like <laughs> we're like it's hanging elsewhere, and they're like, "Oh, I'll put it in the safety deposit room." Like, it's, I don't want to handle it, this right now. It's another one of these things where you have to assume like they got to the set and the thing had fallen off the wall, or like nobody had put it up yet. And David Lynch saw it. And he was like, "Great, we're shooting it like that." Um, really, really good stuff. Brilliant. Um, they open up the safe deposit box. They find some money. And they find what appears to be some sort of porno rag. Um, only David Lynch would think Flesh World is an appealing name for a porn magazine. Like, that sounds horrifying. Like, I don't want to go to Flesh World. Like, sounds like a Hellraiser sequel. Yeah! It's, like, it's where the Cenobites are from or something. Like, holy shit, I don't want to go there. Um, so they open it up. They find an ad for... Uh, um, Ronette. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. for Ronette, the other girl that was out. So, But then also on the next page, and maybe I just miss it, like the context of this, but there's a picture of Leo's truck. Yeah, so, so this is weird. Why would I, this be I have flesh always, I have always wondered about this, and I still have no answers for it, because it might just be a weird scene transition that they decided on, because it's like it pans over to what appears to be a photo of Leo's truck and then it just fills in and it just is leo's truck. yeah and i'm like so, is and, this and in now, the magazine yeah, is there now, an ad yeah, in it, flesh world yeah. for leo like does he have something yeah out? yeah like, like am i supposed to believe that that photo was really there or this is somebody's yeah, clever idea of moment. it, of it. If anyone who is listening has any insight on that i would love to know it because it's odd yes and also please tell us what these sirens are going after that just went by <laughs> and probably got picked up on mic they're going um, to get Leo questioning. Um, we get a scene here in Leo and Shelly's house. It's obviously very uncomfortable between them. He's like, turn off the TV. Come sit here. These cigarettes don't look like yours. Like, you cheating on me. From now yeah, on, yeah. you only smoke you only one smoke cigarette one so I can figure it out. Cigarettes. I love that he has the same cigarette, the same, like, standing ashtray that, like, everyone's aunt has. Yes, totally. And, like, also... <laughs> Leo's look is like I don't know what it reminds me of. He looks like he's like the bass player from Alice in Chains or something. Like it's <laughs> like, just absolutely said, ridiculous. I'm like I know like this. I'm like this is not a very woke thing to say. It's it's not like and as someone who has been in abusive relationships, it's just like not a great thing to say. But I'm like look at this dude with like the one piece of curly hair hanging over his eye. You're gonna let him tell you. That you can't smoke a different type of cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna let that guy yeah. tell you what to do. Yeah, like seriously. I know that's not how it really works, yeah, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but he is just such a ridiculous looking character. Yeah, yeah. Like like you could tell David Lynch was like in in the Washington area. Who would be the most wife beatingest of all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy. And yeah. have you ever seen him on like like Geraldo or whatever? And he has like the long, it's super curly, and he's like. <laughs> Twin Peaks was a great time. And you're like, what the fuck? What is this look? Yeah, I know. You can kind of tell he'd probably be a babe if he was done up differently. Yeah. But like, but the way. He's the saxophone guy in Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way he's done up, (laughs) it doesn't necessarily read as like tough, abusive guy either. It reads as like. I don't know what it reads as. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's really bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It also, reads as like a guy who works on like a, the boardwalk at the beach and he's like overly friendly. Yeah. And you're a little concerned about yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. also like ultimately he's probably not that bad of a guy. Yeah. He probably accidentally hit the vape too hard this morning. Yeah. You know? it's, it's just like it's, an odd yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I, I did note here he takes a swig of 
prop beer here. First of all, he's holding it really weird. He's like grasped around the neck and then of the bottle. It's it's really strange. It's kind of the way Vin Diesel holds it yeah. in Fast and Furious where he puts it between his fingers, but he's got like his whole fist wrapped around the neck of the bottle. And then he takes a swig of it at the end, which is supposed to be us going, oh, Leo's an alcoholic, I guess. But every time I see this scene, I know this prop beer is really weird. It does not look like beer at all. Like it, it, a little bit of it like comes off of his lip and it's clearly very watery and like it doesn't look like he actually swallows it probably because it's gross it's just like it's just, i'm always distracted by how bad this it's drinking almost like scene they looks wanted like. Him. like that's how you would hold like a whiskey bottle yeah but it's like what they didn't want to get yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a yeah it was, it's instead. so weird yeah really bizarre um not worth spending this much mic time without but <laughs> i just <laughs> notice it every we time. just wanted to note that um, it happens um, we get this great scene where there's like a town hall meeting that they've been called. So I guess Coop can address some of the speculation in the town and talk about installing a, a curfew. curfew yeah. We get introduced to a lot of characters really quickly. And we also get a lot of like explanation for people that we've seen uh, briefly in earlier scenes. I'm not going to run down all of it because we're explaining most of the important points as we go. But I will say some of these great phrases that get seen, uh, get said here. Um, let's see. Harry describes uh, Catherine Martell as the original deep freeze, <laughs> which makes me think automatically of Arnold Schwarzenegger in that shitty Batman movie. <laughs> I don't, I, that's like that, I, those two things just marry in my mind. I don't know why. Um, Coop asking about Benjamin Horn, the hotel owner, goes, "Who's the glad handing dandy?" Yeah, <laughs> which is, is just such a fucking weird thing to David say. David loves the term glad hand. Yeah, like he because he says in the Fire Walkman movie. Yeah, and putting dandy on there turns it into a tongue twister for like no reason. It's just so weird. Who's the glad and, and then dandy? The excellent introduction of arguably the most important character in the series, where uh, um, uh, Coop goes, who's the lady with the log? And helpfully, Harry says, we call her the log lady. <laughs> oh, okay. And he's like, oh, really? Like, yeah. he, like, just accepts it. Yeah, yeah, he's like, oh. Well, he, like, doesn't say anything. It's like, then the meeting like, starts. It's just like, okay, it's well, okay, right. that's, we, we now live in the world with the log lady now. Um, yeah, definitely the most important character. Not a lot of log lady content in this first episode, though. Um, so in this scene, Coop basically says, the reason I'm here is because there was a similar murder of a woman named Teresa Banks somewhere nearby about a year ago. And we don't get anything else about that, and we won't get anything else about that for, like, ever. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't even know when that comes in. Is it the movie? Is it the It's, it's the movie. So, it? so, like, so, like, so, like, in real life, people didn't hear anything else about this for, like, four years. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't even on the TV show. It was yeah, on a movie. That arguably... Was, in the world of Twin Peaks, no one else hears yeah, about no it. No one else ever hears about it again. I, I feel like it's kind of talked about in some of the supplementary materials and vaguely in The Return when they mention the, uh, uh, you know, your friend. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> God, what's his name? You, you have him tattooed on your body. He's in the movie. <laughs> oh, Chris Isaac. Yeah, yeah, the Chris Isaac My character. friend Chris Isaac. Yeah. <laughs> your He's best the reason friend. why Chris and I are friends. Yeah. <laughs> Strangely enough, it was all because of Chris. Yeah, you know, I Shout was like... Shout out to Chris. <laughs> I was, like, really hoping for him to show up in the return to, and, and spoiler, he does not. Yeah. And I, that was upsetting to me. Ha- have you heard the explanation for that? No. Um, so... Also in Mark Frost's AMA, they were like, why didn't you bring back Chris Isaac's character? You brought everybody else back for the return. And Mark says, we couldn't figure out how to get him back from where he wound up. Oh, fair. I mean, fair, but also, like, 
every other character. <laughs> like, well, well, let's well, let's okay. not talk about that. <laughs> I'm going to write down what I'm thinking. So anyway, yeah. So they, they install this curfew. And, he's, um, and he does that thing where he's like, I want to remind everybody that the people who are hurt and killed were young women. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, that's very disturbing. So he's like, basically, keep all your kids in at night. So we smash cut to Donna's house. And Donna's like, hey, uh, I need to go out at night to go meet James. Uh Talks to her sister, who we basically never see again. And who's like the no, best she, character in the she show. she shows up again. Like, and, very briefly. And yeah. I wrote down... Right here, Donna's stupid poet sister. I don't know. I kind of love her. Like, she's hilarious. <laughs> she's just like, what do you think sounds better? It's like neither of them sound yeah, great. But I like at the end, the, she combines the two. Now that I've thought about it yeah. for a minute, she's I on like her bed the writing full some blossom of the evening. Oh my god, she's so great. And the way the way Donna sets up this thing, here's just cover for me. Here's what you're gonna tell Dad. Blah blah blah. Do this. Can I take your bike? Yes goes and then immediately her boyfriend shows up at the door and the dad comes up and is like what's going on and Donna's sister's like Donna snuck out yeah. she like falls she like a napkin even, she's, like still writing, she's still writing her I don't even think she ever planned on covering yeah, her yeah. she's still writing her note it's, her poem she's like oh she snuck out it, it's so funny that they that have this lengthy me. scene it's very David Lynch and they have this lengthy scene about how she's gonna cover for her and then she just immediately doesn't do yeah. it like it's super good um so anyway Donna's out uh to go meet up with James at the roadhouse. Um, Mike and Bobby are at the door to get Donna. And then her dad is like, well, uh, she's gone. And feels like, you know, that sucks. But also, it's probably good that she's not with Mike. And he's like, are you two drinking and driving? And Bobby is literally standing out on the street pretending to surfboard on the car hood while drinking a beer. And Mike goes, it's okay. Bobby's doing most of the driving. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Which is, as a small town person myself originally... A hundred percent accurate. Like, and no, no lies detected. Zero lies detected. Um, then we go to the roadhouse, right? Uh, yeah. And my first note here is, don't know why all the people complained about the concerts in The Return, since literally the first episode of the show has a fucking roadhouse concert in it. Right, right. <laughs> so, just need to get that one out of my system. Uh, Donna shows up. We're seeing that it's like this big convergence point for a lot of the weird subplots in the series. The Roadhouse being a convergence point for weird shit going on is going to continue throughout the, ser- the series forever. Um, it's still happening to this day somehow, I think. Um, <laughs> They're just filming there. It's like, who, yeah. what is this for? Nothing. We, we see Ed and Norma is meeting up with Norma from the diner. We can tell that they've got a thing going on between them. We know Ed's unhappy with Nadine. Norma's husband's in jail. We don't know what the deal with that is yet, but we will. And they're so cute together. (laughs) They're very cute together. You immediately root for them because they're like pretty much the only couple that seems happy together on this show. Yeah. Um, There'll be some exceptions later, but that's pretty much it for the moment. They just love each other and it's perfect. Um... So, basically, uh, Donna shows up, her shitty boyfriend and Bobby are there, and they're like, oh, uh, hey, bitch, like, come with us. Yeah, they start and, roughhousing her. Yeah, they start her, roughhousing yeah? her, and so then some dudes draped in leather, who I guess we're supposed to assume are James's friends, because he wears leather as well. There's, like, no explanation about this. There's, like, 
start to kind of defend her. And this one guy, Joey Paulson, who, if I remember correctly, we never see again. I don't right? think we do. Yeah, like, never see, hear anything from him again. He's like, I'm James' best friend. I'll take you to James. <laughs> it's like, oh. what? <laughs> we call them the Twin Peaks Leather Daddy. Yeah. That's their game. I guess. And yeah, so, like, he's like, come on. And then I, I don't think that we do ever see so, him again. Yeah, so Joey throws her on his bike. She's just like, yeah, cool, whatever. Like, drives off in the middle of fucking nowhere to, like, leave her with James. Uh, while, while they're fighting with Big Ed, yeah. He's like, stop pushing yeah. her around. Yeah, Big Ed, the only good person in the show, is like, hey, stop fighting with this girl. And then, like, 50 shitty kids just start kicking the shit out of Rich Big was Ed. like, they laid Big Ed out. They really did. And He's it's like, also, like, it just indiscriminately, too, because it's like we had the biker kids and the football kids fighting, and, like, Ed is just gone. He's just dead. He's like, like, the, the common enemy is the adults. So. <laughs> um, and so, Coop and Harry, having found out about the note at this point, are uh, having their suspicions about everything going down at the roadhouse, see uh, Joey Paulson leave with Donna on back, and are like, oh, she's probably going to, that's probably James, or like, she's going to Jay. Oh, wait, they don't know it's James. Yeah, so it's like, so, yeah, it's like a biker named Jay. And then Harry goes, Joey Paulson? And Coop goes, that'll do. And then, they, Woo! but like, they lose him because they're on a motorcycle and it's night, and they like dump her off in the woods. And then we get this really big info dump here where it's basically like James was getting it on with Laura and she was the one. And oh, by the way, he was with her the night she got murdered and some freaky shit was happening and he didn't do anything about it or tell anybody. And now he feels like he can't tell anybody because he doesn't have an alibi and it looks like he murdered her. And what is the solution to this info dump? They make out. Yeah, he makes out with Donna. I don't then, need to watch James make out with Donna. Yeah. Why is this still on? And then he goes, this is this is literally the piece of acting delivered to us by the James, the guy portraying James Hurley here. He goes, I'm sorry. I changed my mind. I'm not sorry. <laughs> it is so <laughs> painful. It is so painful. It is absolutely the most it's the most like if somebody walked in if your significant other walked in while you're watching the show and hadn't seen any of the rest of it they'd be like what the fuck is this and why are you watching it it's like this is a series that has just such unbelievably weird shit that we won't be talking about for a long time in it and yet this feels like absolutely the most embarrassing moment in the the whole series i would rather watch 40 more minutes of audrey's brother than that scene again it's so bad. Yes, it's it's, just, it's and, really and painful. Also, like, I mean, I'm not one to say who does what when something traumatic happens, whatever. But like, your best friend and the love of your life died, so you guys are gonna make out. Seems weird. So what's important? It's the most incestuous <laughs> town. They're just all fucking each other. It's bizarre. It's, it's yeah. Again, though, rings true to my small town experience. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess maybe. Um, I'm gonna. So from a plot standpoint, what's important here is. James and Donna are kind of an item now in this thing about they're concerned about what happened to Laura, but they're also invested in each other. That's going to get real complicated and gross real fast. Um, and James has the second half of this heart necklace that they found on the mur- at the murder site. Um, so the cops are actively looking for this item. Donna's like, we have to get rid of it. And James is like, 
we'll bury it. So they put it on the ground right where they're meeting, where the cops know that they're meeting and are waiting for them to come out <laughs> of the woods. And also there's like just happens to be a hole in the ground that they stick it in and put a rock on top of it. It's like the worst job of burying anything of all time. And there's a marker. It's like, great. Good work, guys. You really, really. <laughs> we're not we're yeah. not working with geniuses. Yeah, 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 this, is, this is shocking that they didn't yeah. figure out who killed Laura Palmer in three seconds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically they get on the bike and right away the cops are sitting there waiting for him so Harry and Coop pull him over Um, Donna screams repeatedly James didn't do anything even though really it's pretty suspicious at this point (laughs) also Uh, how does she know yeah she doesn't so they grab up James they take him to the jail where Bobby and Mike are already there presumably for kicking the dog shit out of Big Ed at the roadhouse (laughs) um and they, they start barking at they, each other. Bobby and Mike hate James because at this point they've figured out that James was sleeping with Laura or is at least somehow involved in this mess. And they start barking like a dog at him. This reminded me, and I'd kind of forgotten about this, but it reminds me of something that happens, a guy that's down in the cells in The Return. Yeah, that we have what? no reason to talk about at this point, but when they were barking like an animal at him, I'm like, oh, this yeah, like immediately Yeah, you know what, I forgot about that too. Yeah. We'll go back to yeah, that for sure. We'll try but... to remember this. Um, oh, we will. And so the last seconds of the episode, we see Sarah Palmer being sad in the Palmer house again. As is Evergreen. Her, yeah. <laughs> as she will be forevermore, quoth the Raven. And she kind of seemingly having some sort of dream or vision. We see the woods and we see like a hand reach down and grab the necklace that the kids just did a shitty job of burying. We can't tell whose it is. And then she sits up and screams. And if you're paying real close attention, you might see something reflected in the mirror that we can't really talk about yet, but you can look for it. It's there. And <laughs> and, and finally, yeah. an hour and a goddamn half later, <laughs> the episode, the feature-length episode ends. And Matt, I was, Matt was a little like, how many episodes were you going to talk about? Like, are we going to have enough time to get through here? <laughs> Just the one, because yeah. it's 9,000 years long. And there's so much shit in it. Like, I It kind really of, does, like, pack uh, it so, in. Something that really impressed me watching through it again is just how many of the plot threads get started or at least get suggested or implied in the first episode. Like it's almost everything is in there from the beginning. Yeah. Like some of the more bizarre, like supernatural elements and stuff were a long way from really plumbing. But like, as far as who the key players are and how they relate to each other, you get so much in that first episode. It, it really is. I mean, it feels long as we discussed, but it's, it's, it's a lot. I'm excited there. to uh, really explore the journey of the German giggling girl. We're going to really get, get <laughs> the into the nuts and bolts I'm, of her. I'm, I'm waiting on pins and needles for that <laughs> box of chocolate bunnies to show up again. Probably only in a couple episodes <laughs> or something. It's so funny, too, because rewatching it, I forgot about a lot of stuff. Like, I forgot that he said the thing about the chocolate bunnies. And no, I oh, I, 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 it. I, I popped hard when that happened in the return. <laughs> and the, when the bunnies totally came back, forgot. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. All I know is I try to make Aiden watch it, and he just is not. He can't get into it. We so. need we need Aiden to guest on uh, episode seven of the Return. Remember that when was he watched one. it, yeah, and then he, he was like, "So I'll see what the problem is. I understood it fine." Yeah, uh, absolutely. No, it was loved. Fire Walk with me that he said he, oh, he understood. Okay, well maybe we should have him on for like, that. He was like, "I don't like people were confused by this. I thought it was pretty, but it, the Return was when he came to visit before he moved out here, and he was like." I was like, you picked a weird week to watch yeah. that. Because I was like, we're going to watch this. And he was sitting with us. I'm like, this is a weird 
week to start to jump into this <laughs> bizarre stuff. So anyway, that's the first uh, episode of blog post. I'm sure we'll find our groove a little bit more too the more we go. But I think yes. this was pretty solid. So. Yeah. So, a lot of conversation, probably a lot of editing that's going to have to happen somehow. Yeah. But <laughs> but for the most part, it's all gold, man. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I think the opening is going to need some editing. It was a little rough. I do want the first to. Um, I do want to also thank Matt because I know Twin Peaks is not his favorite cup of tea, and so maybe well, actually, I mean, for for five minutes, let me discuss that. Actually. Okay, um, because. It was very much my cup of tea when this was out. I literally loved Dale Cooper so much that when I was 11 years old, I started slicking my hair back <laughs> to look as cool as he did. Um, the issue, and w- this get, would get into spoiler territory, which is why I won't get, but what happens when when Laura's killer reveal is mm. revealed, it was so traumatic to me, and as it happened, turned into some very deep-seated personal things I wasn't even aware of at yeah. that point. Oh, my God. Yes. Interesting. Yes. And so it unsettled me forever. You talk about the first shot of this series being a shot of a mirror. I couldn't look at mirrors for three years after that episode aired. Oh. Not this episode, but yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that That's revelation. Yes. So I loved it, and it traumatized me so deeply that it's hard to go back, which is why I'm not... You know, helping you guys yeah. out yeah, because you're not watching it yet. yeah, exactly. I'm not watching it. Who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have the same effect. But I loved this show, and it was so funny. You talk about um, it being like, what did Middle America think of this? I was living in Missouri, mm-hmm. and ABC was the local station mm-hmm. of a town of like ten thousand people, and this was the weirdest shit. And it was yeah. like a huge hit, you know. But people didn't know what to make of it. It was just hilarious to watch. These small town people try to work their minds around what this shit was as it got weirder and weirder and weirder. Yeah, it's one of those. I mean, this is kind of a subject with no bottom, so maybe this isn't good to start (laughs) talking about here. (laughs) But it's first of all, David Lynch himself being very much a product of middle America and yet turning out to be this like really weird, surreal, creepy art guy and like create the sort of body of work he does and explore the themes he does. Um, I think that there's a lot that he does that sort of almost inherent to the small town experience. I think that's sort of what I learned to love about him in retrospect is he talks about the sort of unsettling elements of that in a way that is hard to do. It's hard to replicate. It's hard to tell that stuff. And so he does a lot with abstractions, mystery, weird stuff, character acting, but like he gets there and it really touches all of it. And everyone else that does it tries to do it ironically. Yeah. 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 He's doing it straight up. It's totally straight face. And and it's also why it reads as ironic. I think a lot of time, I think a lot of people have a hard time parsing Lynch's stuff because it's, it's deeply sincere. I mean, even when it's funny or Mm -hmm. in, comprehensible it's deeply sincere you know and Um, colleen hit it exactly on the head earlier when she says like the the idea isn't that something suddenly happens in this small town it's that it's always always been happening but there's like a sort of refusal to like acknowledge it's kind of like if cormac mccarthy was good or funny or interesting (laughs) sorry (laughs) hot take i i actually like some (laughs) i I actually i actually like some of his work it's like like, if my family were a small town yeah yeah. (laughs) um oh there's one other thing i wanted to talk about but i've lost it now oh but yeah but but anyway thank you Anyway, yes. yeah. I want to thank I'm you. I'm glad to be here hitting the board for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we're looking forward to more episodes and we're going to have some guest people on too, which will be good. Mm. So it'll be nice to have other opinions on things. So yeah, I think for our first episode, it's pretty good. One in the can. 
One in the can, <laughs> 9,000 more to go. <laughs> we can do it, though. All right. I believe in us. All right, this so been- we're... Oh, oh, yep, yep. <laughs> we haven't established a thing. Is here. there a no. sign off? <laughs> no, well, I'll let Chris do it. This has been the Drunk Monkeys Logcast. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.